To enjoy this and other great episodes on Patreon, check out the link in the description and subscribe via the Black Kluge tier for full access to over 100 exclusive episodes. For those of you who would like some QF swag on TeePublic t-shirts, magnets, mugs, what have you, also click on the link in the description. Would you sure. pretend that I am Bahati? I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It's hot in the garage. I'm wearing a bra top. I okay. have my, and I only have panties on. I'm being honest. Can you go a little slower? Just talk about it. <laughs> do you have underwear on under that rope? I do. That's all I have on, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, reason, you're in your garage. You're in your garage. Bahati is... I'm Bahati. You leave it alone. You know what? You're doing just fine. I, I should only look like you. All right. So I'm Bahati. We're in the garage. I'm bathed. I'm moisturized. I've completely shaven for you. And I'm sitting here listening to my husband. Gross. <laughs> I've had dinner at Mar-a-Lago with Donald many times. Not at the same table. But he would come over. He would give me a tour of Mar-a-Lago. I, I, I've been there. I told you. It's like heaven. Oh, it's hot. It's burn my mouth. <laughs> uh, dry oatmeal. Uh, I need what? Oh. On it, where you could just put them in your ear and like they'd be Bluetooth or something. Because I need to. I can't even afford to buy socks anymore. You know. Uh. Well, all right. Well, hey, I'm glad to hear you're doing okay, and. uh have my routine and the days go so fast because i just sit in my room and entertain myself like when i was a little boy time means nothing yeah no such thing as time <laughs> if i didn't have to shower and eat i'd just sit in that room i'm yeah, telling you it's that it's that narcissism where you think the whole world revolves around you and you're entitled to do whatever you want but you know when you're a football player and you used to be catered to and you're the most famous football player in the world you can get caught up in that. And then when your wife says, hey, you know, you need to take the garbage out and drive the kids to school, you get resentful and you go, don't you know who I am? You know? I can't get that image of your dad playing piano with you on your, with, with you on his lap. It's just, uh, I don't usually feel stuff, so this never happens to me. <laughs> um. gentlemen to qf a podcast about howard stern i'm your host Fillmore, aka jim fix with me of course is sam and benjamin welcome back ben how are you feeling thanks glad to be here feeling good happy new year thank you happy new year to you happy lunar new year to everybody out there it is yeah exactly it's been a while since our last installment sam how are you feeling i'm good i'm so happy ben's on i love it yeah, we're back to pick up this thread, guys. We're laying a quarter through the book, and eventually we'll finish it long before you know Howard retires. Um, if you were, fo- <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I think it's how I'm going to take a bet. It's when you retire. <laughs> Maybe. Um, when the, the last time we were on, guys, we were finishing up with the Steve Dahl disco demolition and what have you. And there's um, a bit of reading between the audio that we had because we tried to finish it up really quickly. So I'm going to read some of page 54 uh, that was in between the audio. We replay one little bit of audio. So um, 
Uh, it says here, Howard had his own dial-a-date routine on WCCC and was all too familiar with Dull's shtick because he used to listen to tapes of Dull's shows in Hartford. Lick uh, received the recordings from a friend in Chicago. Howard used to, Howard and I used to listen to the tapes while sitting in my car after playing racquetball, Lick stated. God, I'd love to see that. Um, he didn't say much about them, but looking back, you can tell that Dahl was the catalyst for what Howard later ended up doing. I know Howard would never admit that, but he took what Steve Dahl was doing and took it to the next dimension. Um, and then there's a bit more audio that we played. And I then there's the next part. Sam, would you like to read the uh, third paragraph? I would just like to say before I read this that when he says Steve Dahl was doing and took it to the next and he took it to the next dimension, I don't agree with that whatsoever. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. That's 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 someone that w when when interviewed was just buying the hype. Yeah. That, that's yeah. a talking point. After returning from a visit to Detroit with a job offer that Hungate and Clark had sweetened to 30000 Howard finished a morning broadcast and went to explain his situation to WCCC owner Cy Dresner. Quote, I remember that day vividly because I could hear the shouting coming through Cy's door. End quote. Lick recalled. Quote, Cy was livid. Nobody had the foresight to see what would happen, that Howard was destined for bigger things. Cy had this thing about loyalty. He wanted loyalty and dedication, end quote. Okay, so uh, Ben, would you like to read the next yeah, paragraph? <laughs> just to understand, Cy, uh, he took a chance on Howard and brought this guy in as bad as he was. You know, he had to beg for that second audition. And mm -hmm. 10 months later, he's saying, I'm leaving. I have another job. I mean, that's 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 puts your boss in a really bad position. You know, he's a morning man. It's not like he's somebody behind the scenes. He's on the air. So um, you can understand why Howard and, and Howard claims that if he had gotten like a dollar fifty an hour raise more, he would have stayed. Um, and that, that's, that's part claim. of this, that, that's part of the book, actually, as well. And this that you're going to read. However, it's it, it falls in line with not the last episode, but number seven, the one where we talked about his father setting him up with gigs and he blew them off uh, yeah. or he, he tried to trade up to a better gig and left people in the lurch. And Robin was equally guilty of that in her own career. Yeah. Sam? Now, I will say this whole trend that's like nepo baby you know where everybody points out the nepotism hires of you know people in the business previously in your family and then you get hired and then you act like it's just this shock and surprise howard is a nepo baby when it comes to the broadcasting industry right i i think well he definitely maybe had a leg up early, in terms of on, being able in terms of being able to Learn, learn how to do technical things, I suppose, yes. And his dad worked in a recording studio, not radio, but he had radio connections. So I don't think he necessarily was a nepotism hire, but it was made easier for him by Ben to open certain doors, I will say. that He still had to pass an audition. He had to pass, you know, certain basic functions. So yes and no. Now, we, you say like, okay, he wasn't loyal to Cy, even though he gave him a chance. But do we really blame – I know that's not a great characteristic of somebody, but do we really blame him if it got him to the place where he is now? If you're a self-serving you know, careerist and that's what you want to do is climb the ladder. Well, if he admitted that and was honest about that, 
I guess. And he just said, look, I only am in this for myself. But you look at, say, private parts, which everybody treats as real. Allison's character says, you've been loyal to everyone you've ever worked with. That's like one of <laughs> the scenes that she delivers to him um, yeah. as like she understands why he couldn't bear to see Robin not working right. with him because he's just been so loyal always. But he's the furthest thing from loyal. He's anti-loyal. He only thinks of himself. And um, yeah, so anyway, the, you know, and speaking of only thinks of himself, Allison, by the way, has a master's degree. Gets this job. They don't say where it is, but she's working at um, a Jewish social work center. Um, I think I think it's they only work with um, Jewish families. But mm -hmm. so she's there, and now she's got to turn around her career. So I was thinking, look at her resume. It's got to be so spotty because yeah. she doesn't have a job lined up. So she's got time to you know she has to stay behind a month to. Um, you know, give a notice, which Howard wasn't even really doing. Allison actually does the right thing and gives a notice, but she's starting from scratch in the next city and then starting from scratch again in the next city and then in the next city. And yet he demands absolute fealty and loyalty from all of his yeah. employees for from time immemorial. Sam? That's a great point you made, Ben, where if he admitted this social climbing, this career climbing, um, sort of octopus that he is. He doesn't do that, though. He really lies about that. It's it's almost like a Meghan Markle complex where it would be great if you just said that you were interested in dating people in higher status and marrying well, but you don't do that. You act like a doe in the woods act. So that's what Howard did. He acted like this was all dumb luck. He's a genius that people just had to see, and then they just uplifted him not mm -hmm. he was yeah. seeking it out he sought it out yeah uh so please uh finish that one paragraph uh ben and then we'll go on with a little bit of audio did you want although or howard was all, from yeah from from although yeah sure <clears throat> although howard's version is that wwww laid down a fat check that allowed him to kiss off wccc without a moment's hesitation Lick recollects that his friend had serious doubts about the move and would have remained in Hartford for an additional 40 or $50 a week. The problem was, not only did Dresner rarely part with a raise, but he was the type to resent being pushed to the wall by a competing offer. I don't think Howard went in there with a take-it-or-leave-it attitude, but Cy fell squeezed, Lick said. Howard was denied a raise. In 1995, Dresner remembered only that he believed Howard was looking for a bigger market and decided to leave. He never got the chance to say goodbye to his listeners because impacted wisdom teeth sidelined him in the last two days he was scheduled to work. I felt terrible about that, he told The Current. Hartford, <clears throat> Hartford was a great place to work, and I feel sad about leaving. This offer was just too good. This offer Wait. of 30 grand a year. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. Fred Norris, Fred Norris graduated from college soon after Howard headed off to Motown. They would be together again sooner than either of them either of them could have expected. How old is he at this point? How old is Howard? Yeah. This is this is 1980, right? 1980, so... So, so he's 26. 26. Yeah. And you get your wisdom teeth out at 26? Uh... Yeah, you can you, you can get them out whenever it happens. I mean, it, it's not always. Uh, I got mine out when I was like eighteen. That's what I've I seen. I might have been I, at twenty six when I got mine out. 
Really? I have yeah, never I mean, heard of anybody sh- getting them in their mid-20s. Is that common? I don't know if it was common, but it wasn't an issue for me. And the, I think the dentist was just looking to make some extra money. He probably looked at, he probably, he probably, <laughs> but also he probably uh, let them go for too long until they started hurting. I mean, most doc, most dentists are proactive and they see that they're impacting the other, the molars and they say, well, we got to get rid of those because that's going to, you're going to ruin other teeth and that's even more work. Yeah. But, anybody uh, I've mm-hmm. ever known to have their wisdom teeth out, it's in high school or like the beginning of college. I've never heard of anybody. I don't know. Ever. <laughs> I've heard of Me guys that got circumcisions in their 40s. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. One one guy I knew, he, he, his wife was uh, was Jewish and he wanted to change religions and he was told he had to get rid of the foreskin. Holy shit. That was a good prank yeah. by them. anyway we're going to go on to the next clip guys this is one that i did not find i I must have passed through it and this goes back to the wrnw days and this one is called uh wiggy's failure as a disco dj from wrnw basically he was trying to supplement his income by working at the holiday inn playing like at a disco and yeah, I do and, think it's uh, funny that it, that he's a disco DJ as Steve Dahl is doing Disco Sucks. Uh, they hired me at the Holiday Inn in Tarrytown, New York, to be a, a nightclub dish jockey. I knew nothing about this. I think you know music mixes and all this. And I went there and I took the station's library, music library, borrowed it and took it with me. And they paid me $250 for the night. I was fired within a week. Because guys would come up and go, what do you want to play? I play the Beatles. People dance to the Beatles. You know, I didn't know yeah. dance. I didn't know any of this shit. <laughs> what makes me laugh is forget about, okay, I understand needing supplementary m- music to help you at a night, especially in those days of vinyl and just, just vinyl, basically. But that means he didn't even have any of his own at a, personal records back home to draw from and had nothing. He, he knew nothing about music. I have friends who, one of my good friends, her husband's a DJ, and all he plays is vinyl. And it's, he has this huge collection of it and always ready to go. Could you imagine going to a disco and then you hear, I don't know, the Beatles, hello, there and goodbye. <laughs> the long and winding road as you're trying to, uh, I, it's ac- across so the universe when you're trying to boogie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I mean, they're depressing. They're, there are a couple of songs you could play from the Beatles, sort of rock. I it would rock definitely, I guess, but it's a disco in that era. Jesus Christ, you, maybe you'd come never together. Hear oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Flying. It's anyway, not Shaka we'll Khan. No, it isn't. I was trying to make a living. When I got my first job in radio, I was booted down in salary to 96 bucks a week. <laughs> but I supplemented that by spinning disco records at the Holiday Inn, which lasted three weeks because I got fired because I didn't know any disco. Was it one week or was it three weeks? Indeed. Yeah, honestly, it, it, the, the, the numbers change, the, the amount of money changes sometimes. Yeah. And remember, guys, the 96 bucks a week is for like four hours a day, yeah. four times a week for the or something like that. first six months only. Yeah, and then he's full-time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I said, don't you know any disco? I go, well, yeah, like Bee Gees or something. Because, no, 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 there's like more, you know, there's like Sylvester and, oh, what I, you know, they, there was a whole bunch of disco people and I didn't know who they were. I mean, who the hell knew who anybody was? I was just trying to make a living. I said to the guy, why don't you just tell what? me what to play? Just, what... <laughs> why don't you tell me what to play? <laughs> who knows who anybody was? It's that time period. How could you? 
a brick house. I mean, come on. I, I, I love I that he says that. Sylvester. There, so, I well, have yeah. a Sylvester song. You guys got to hear this song. It's called Was It Something That I Said? It's so <laughs> funny that this would – I have it because I know it because it was sampled in a B.I.G. and Little Kim song, I think it was. <laughs> the lisp is just about as pronounced as oh Howard my gosh. Is now. <laughs> yes. This is not even disco, it's funk. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. it, it's it's closer it's it's more it's closer to disco at this point than than funk, but it, but it, you could definitely it's it's one of those things that could go from genre to genre. You wouldn't have any problems mixing it. Um uh, it, and it, Sylvester it, I, was I a famous it's going to be on the dance floor. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Sylvester was a drag queen in disco. He sounds very heterosexual to me. <laughs> Are we listening to the same guy? <laughs> he might have been. Yeah. Anyway, it's just like when he said talked about Pablo Cruz in the first. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he play Pablo Rufus. Cruz. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's continue. We hire you. You're supposed to be on top of that kind of stuff. I go, yeah, but I work for a rock station. I don't know anything. And I barely know that stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, come on. It was weird. It was like, it was a, a, it was a disco for a Holiday Inn in Elmsford, which is up in Westchester. And it was mostly 35-year-old businessmen who'd come down to the bar looking to get laid because right. they were away from their wives. And be some old skanks hanging around there with the 35-year-olds. And they'd just go, hey, why don't you play some Beatles? No. I was just like, dude. I want to hear Beatles. Uh, just buy a record player. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> so they requested all, the Beatles. <laughs> and he didn't bring it. <laughs> I'm going to say false yeah. on that. I don't think any 35-year-old in the late 70s is requesting the Beatles at no. a disco. No. God. They're, they're releasing. Yeah. They want they want uh, LaBelle. They want uh, Cool in the Gang. They want, you know, something, something hot. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Something like that. Tower of Power. Something. Yeah. Donna absolutely. Summers. Donna Summer, yeah. Last Dance. Village People. What year was that? I actually produced a comedy show on that. 1976. Uh, the Elmsford Holiday. No, not 1977. Something. Well, this is this is from. Yeah, he's he's actually correct, isn't he? Because this is this no, is no, no, RNW. It is, but he was uh, doing it to get extra money for his marriage. He was saying, so yes. I think it was like seventy nine. Is really oh, okay. So he's got the year wrong anyway. Oh, he always <laughs> throws the year off. He always does that. On per- uh, I don't know if it's on purpose or or what, but he always, you know, yeah, yeah, like that. Seventy six or seventy seven. You and Jackie bonding. <laughs> well, what what we. Well, there's years later, but it was the same thing. Three businessmen standing at the bar. Yeah, just looking to get laid. Trying, and it was like real depressing. <laughs> you know, oh. I'd be like, how am I going to get this place jumping? There's nobody here to jump. Oh, so let's play They were the hoping Beatles. that I'd attract a big crowd. I'd become known as a disco well, DJ. Well, they're going to hear your music outside. I guess they figured as I worked at WRNW, which three people listened to. <laughs> like, I'd attract all three of my listeners. I see. But then after three weeks, they realized, why don't we just hire some dopey kid who's aware of disco music? <laughs> Since we don't need a guy who can talk on the radio. He's not bringing anyone in. And they replaced me with this dude. But the biggest songs back then were like the Commodores, the Bee Gees. 
I don't yeah, understand. It was, you know, even back then, I believe, uh, like, singles were the, the thing. Like, you, you could have a box of singles and have, like, they didn't take up much space at all, even for, you know, 45s at the time. And then you could just have loads of a material Wait. for an entire night. It's nothing to it. Just but, get the top 40 charts, boom, and they cost nothing. Listen to what he's saying, though. He can't figure out this. But he also said when he was working with Meg that he wasn't into the whole alternative scene of rock and roll so what right. is he into which this Nothing. proves our point all the time he doesn't yes. like music yeah. because now he, he can't even do the top 10 which was the most popular shit back then was disco well this is a question yeah, it, i was going to ask both of you uh, so, like what then what's the i mean is it just bullshit but when he talks about how i love this cover i mean he is a quote, quote unquote cover lover but why yeah. is it covers that he always goes to any any concept any idea i think it's <laughs> like i think it's like do you he has certain songs he knows you know how you know the Our Father or the Hail Mary or when you say grace, you have certain mantras and songs are kind of like that. If you don't have a great musical background, you have this just like, I know the I know the Star Spangled Banner. I know Stairway to Heaven. I know these basic tunes that are kind of like the bedrock of everybody knows that. Okay. And I think that's kind of how he picks what his covers are. Like, this is bare minimum. I don't know much outside of this most well-known thing. But but he, does he pick, does he pick, but he doesn't want to play the originals. He wants covers. What is that? Is that to appear hip? No. Yeah, I, I mean, this is, a, this is the same guy who prefers trans to biological women. So he prefers <laughs> yes. covers of women to women. <laughs> And, you know, he his career is that of a cover artist. He's covering Steve Dahl. He's, it's you know, true. he's covering he's covering a number of different DJs uh, and including the uh, inside the actor studio guy at this point. So, yep. um, you know, uh, there's also the childish. I recognize this, so I want to keep having it over and over again um, mm. that, that, that I could I could see appealing to him. Well, just recently in a breakdown, Raven and I, it still hasn't been released, but Raven and I, there's a clip where he's, he gets pissed. No, he gets a little perturbed. He goes, what's this song? And uh, it was Walking in Memphis by, I can't remember the name of the artist, but um, and he, then he gets, oh, what's this? And he didn't have his rock factoids in front of him because it was the wrong song. And he goes, this isn't on the Howard Stern approved playlist. <laughs> and so <laughs> really a music DJ, 60 years in the business, whatever, 50 years in the business. Yeah. And you need a playlist of your own. Well, you, that's, I'm not saying you can't have one, but you don't recognize the song that was actually a big hit. And uh, I think, it wasn't I even think that I've, old. I think I've shared, I don't know if I've shared with you guys my theory. Uh, and I haven't listened to a while in a while. So I forgot even that he does the, the uh, fun facts about songs when they come back. Sure. But I, be I believe that he, that he does those things strictly so that he doesn't have to pay royalties when he, because he's basically, he's doing commentary on these songs and, and discussing these songs. So he doesn't have to play. This is my idea, uh, my, my take anyway, that he doesn't have to pay royalties for it because it's for editorial purposes. I think it's just a cheapskate move. 
That falls in line with your with your idea that he never talks about his life other than to get reimbursements, reimbursements. So when he's talking about I did this this weekend or that this weekend or whatever, I use this product or that product. It's all to shell back in his pocket. He doesn't like talking about anything unless he's getting reimbursed for it. Yep. Yep. That's That's right. That's my take. I'm, yeah, I'm with you on that. Including Ben's uh, Ben not funeral Ben costs. Stern's yes. funeral costs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He must have he plugged. He plugged he the funeral, the funeral home. home. <laughs> but not he the nurses. Nathan's, the Nathan's hot dogs for the ten dollar yeah. hot dogs that they supplied him with. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and how many times did we hear about the storage unit that he had to go and clean out? Um, yep. Just to pay for the uh, the monthly expenses. He talks about it. Yeah, the Peloton. Yes. Food. You lost that job? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, There's a little DJ booth up in the corner or something. Yeah, it had a little portable DJ booth. It was real embarrassing. And then you had to like, up the records with headphones on because you couldn't hear the music. You know, yeah. The music was blasting so loud. And it was like, oh, my God, there was such pressure. I'd have nightmares that I won't be able to get to the next record. And I didn't know how to, like, put away the records. I was disorganized, Robin. You know that. <laughs> I didn't know how to put away the records. No, I was too fucking lazy to put away the records. We know that from the previous episode. And we know from years and years of the story being told again and again. Fred used to put them away for you because, oh, I had OCD. No, because you just were a lazy, spoiled shit. Well, he probably hadn't he probably hadn't invented OCD at this point when he was telling the story yeah. because Miss America no. the book hadn't come out. Yeah. You're right. So that's lazy. why I started Yeah. This whole sort of thing about not playing music <laughs> because I couldn't deal with like the like you had to have like the next record on and it was so such a hassle. I can't imagine you with one record playing with the other record in your headphones trying to keep. Oh, man. And then you have like little disco lights that are supposed because you have to keep the booth dark for some reason. No one should see you, which in my case is a good thing. And I'm trying to cue it up, but I can't hear. And it's you like every, every record is wowing. I wish you had a stroke from the strobe lights. <laughs> Epilepsy. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, he. His yeah. eyes are dance around like they're following strobe lights at, at a at a nightclub. Those <laughs> constantly <laughs> darting, like a cat. This is following it. Yeah, this is this is unbelievable. Like the idea of you know a DJ, a guy who wants to work in radio, saying, "I don't know how to cue another record into another record. How do I how do I crossfade? How do I get? How do I beat mix? <laughs> These are the basics. This I is a lawnmower guy doesn't know how to cut the grass." The guy who'd been doing radio shows since he was five in his basement. Never right. thought of dreaming up a record. I dreamed about it since he was seven. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid Never. of lights. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween really must be a nightmare for you. <laughs> what, what are these things I must put on my ears to hear the music? I don't get it. And I can't hear anything. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, help! I need somebody. <laughs> so every every segue sucked, and you know it was real sloppy work. Oh, it'd be horrible if somebody missed the first two seconds of one of those. Yeah, right. Well, it just was unprofessional sounding. And I yeah, just kept saying, supposed to be some kind of you know get in the beat and and have songs with similar yeah. beats going into each other and all. And then the guy crap. would come over and yell at me and stuff because like. 
I was supposed to be like an entertainer with the music. I don't know what I was supposed to be doing, but they hired this kid who was really into disco, and he'd come out in like disco clothes. Oh, and this is what I heard they hired. And the guy would like play records and come out and start dancing while he played it and everything. And that's I think that's what they wanted me to do. <laughs> and, you know, I, oh, oh God, what I would what I wouldn't pay to see that. <laughs> you find it amazing. You find it amusing, do you, Sam? I'm just picturing somebody coming out and dancing and how it's like, fuck, <laughs> I can't walk, barely. And, and does he know you don't have to cue it up if you just let the entire Beatles album play? You can just you don't have to cue up the next track. Just let it go to the next track. Just, no kidding. So um, we're going into, guys, uh, page, I was going to say unit six. I'm thinking like a professor now. Um, page, uh, chapter six, page 56. And there's a lot that's not there. So I'll start it off. After broadcasting from an old house in Westchester County and depressing studios in downtown Hartford, Howard did not expect that his giant step up would place him in another former dwelling. WWW was incongruously situated on East Jefferson Avenue in a forlorn industrial part of Detroit. <laughs> um, now, the, here's the bit of the audio here. The station was newly owned by a major corporation. The principal shareholder in Shamrock Broadcasting was Roy E. Disney of the Walt Disney Company, and Detroit was the big time. Not only was the center of the American auto industry a large radio market, but the birthplace of the soulful Motown sound also boasted a thriving rock and roll scene. Detroit produced the lusty shouts of Mitch Ryder and the heavy metal anger of the MC5 during the 1960s, and now claimed aggressive rockers such as Bob Seger, Ted Nugent, and Iggy Pop. Hot-ticket concerts were plentiful. Rock clubs flourished. Howard said that Detroit was the rock and roll capital of the world, while personally shunning the chemical and late-night excesses of the local rock scene that appealed to many of his broadcast colleagues. <laughs> I love that. Um, Mr. Rock and Roll never goes out for a gig. <laughs> Never. I, I do like it does make me a little sad that it was the rock and roll capital of the world and the auto industry. And thanks to NAFTA, that's all gone. <laughs> well, the um, the the one thing we're going to get you guys have to remind me of <clears throat> it's he, he starts talking about where he was living in um, in uh, Detroit, which was, he was staying at the Renaissance Center. And in 1970, like in 1980, the Renaissance Center in Detroit was like three years old. And there were still a mm. couple of stages still un, un, uh, not constructed at that point. But it had everything. Uh, there's a video I'll, I'll show you guys. And they had like shops. They had restaurants. They had hotels, office space. It was like self-contained. You didn't really have to go anywhere. It was like a modern, um, it was like a, it's like a strip mall within the complex was was like a strip mall within an apartment complex it's unbelievable mm. and um and it was the biggest to this day i think it's still the tallest building in detroit i'm not 100 percent sure on that it is sad um, though wow. that like he's a dj there at this really critical time of music and mm -hmm. has the opportunity and he's not taking part in what this culture is and how he could really immerse himself and be a part of it. He's he, it doesn't appeal to him. No, no, he's a hermit. And so we're going to go right into it. Uh, next one. This one is um, Detroit. Sorry, Detroit, Detroit. Uh, I'm going to say W4, W4 staffers discuss Wiggy. 
Howard left WCCC and Fred Norris behind in Hartford for big money and a bigger market in Detroit. On April 21, 1980, he started a new morning show on WWWW, known to most as W4. So I resigned and I was off my way to Detroit and I get to the Renaissance Center, no radio station. They say, oh, they're under construction. There was no construction. They had a rundown house in the middle of downtown Detroit around burned out buildings. Dangerous as could be. I could care less. I just went and I started broadcasting out of this little house in Detroit and it was a nightmare. Former W4 DJ, Greg St. James. W4 was actually uh, in an old funeral home, which is a funky place to have a rock and roll station. Played a lot of Led Zeppelin, that kind of thing. And then they brought in this morning guy from uh, Connecticut or some damn place. Geeky looking dude, looked like Big Bird, and we were like, who in the hell is this? Uh, <laughs> which is attributed to Steve Perry. Yeah. Although in private parts, it's just a, I don't think, is it, does he say it's Steve Perry in private parts? He would have made, he would have been to great pains to make that happen. I can't recall. Yeah, I don't recall that either. I have it here, but I don't know how. Yeah. At sure any rate, find it. At, at any rate, the, 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 the reason why I mentioned the Renaissance Center was also Allison is not in Detroit at this time. She's a couple months. He's in a couple months without her at this point. Well, clearly she has nothing to worry about unless he goes to a bus stop trying to pick up kids like, you know, <laughs> uh, Gacy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And Howard Stern. Hey, the Duke of Rock's getting ready to walk, but I want you to stick around because we got a brand new morning man. So this is from the movie. They decided to crowbar this in because he's determined this is the way the history went as opposed to just going in and just being a nondescript asshole. He has to make himself a victim going to this fucking station, as always. Like Big Bird to me. Coming next. On W4106 FM. What's happening, man? Come on in, Big Bird. How you doing, man? Good to see you. How's things? What's that? You're going to do what? Is that right? Well, now, how about that, kiddies? He's going to have Kermit the Frog come in here and sing the alphabet song. Isn't that something? Coming up next on the Big Bird Show. I got to go. See you midnight tonight. This is the Duke of Rock saying, if you can't be good, be bad, baby. Bye. Hey, how you doing? Howard Stern, nice to see you. Listen to your show last night, it was great. Looking forward to working with you. Don't hurt yourself, man. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You were supposed to have a good voice to be on the radio. Nobody, I don't think, would ever say that Howard has a good voice. There you are in Detroit in the Midwest, and there's this guy with this sort of New York-y kind of accent, the whole, you know, New York Jew thing going. Oh I can't believe he said that. But <laughs> guys, it wasn't us. That's from the history of Howard Stern, obviously. I didn't say uh, it. No, of course not. We're, we're just, we're just we're appalled by such the use of such language. Now, now the thing is, <clears throat> the... The and I was talking with James Santiago a little bit about this. He's talked often on the, on the air about having a vocal coach, a vocal coach. At mm -hmm. one point, he sent Steve Grillo, <laughs> so or so. Steve Grillo went to get at voice voice lessons, or whatever. Which I don't not Grillo, sorry, Mike Ganji, not Grillo. And mm -hmm. then Howard starts talking about how oh, they taught me certain, they taught me certain techniques on how to you know slow down your voice and to lower it if you want it to sound lower. So whether he's yep. using. Whether he's using lessons that a teacher taught him or whether he's using technology, he's still a phony shit 
in terms of yeah. his voice throughout his career after a certain point. But at this point, yeah, he sounded horrible. And I mean, he still sounded like Kermit the Frog. We played the clips. You're going to hear some of them, guys. Sam? It's different if you want to be a singer and you take vocal lessons and you want to expand your range or work on certain facets of diction, especially when you um, pronounce certain words in songs and things like that. And there are really great um, teachers who can teach you how to do this. But if you're just learning how to speak and talk, I don't understand how how you can change a tone of a voice to that level. It's not the same. As you, you have a baseline, okay, but just talking, if you suck right off the bat, I don't know how you think you're not going to su- you're not going to suck at talking. That's that's the minimum of base of what you're supposed to be doing. I don't get it. Well, the thing is, um, for example, like uh, I, I will listen to the Murdoch mysteries um, based on the the trial that's going on now, and the Mrs. Who runs it. Um, she does a great job. It's very informative. However, she had really bad vocal fry the first episode and got all kinds of criticism for it. So between now and then, like she has worked on it. You can tell she's worked on it. She's at the, it's heavily edited. It's done. It's very professional. It's done in a really nice way. She definitely had some coaching or went online and looked on YouTube for lessons or something to help her not do that because it is an affectation. It's no different than, you know, a, a gay guy going, oh, well, it's wonderful, wonderful to be here. You know, that nobody mm-hmm. grows up like nobody. Nobody's born talking like that. Nobody, you know, learns that uh, nobody are- just naturally gets that. Those are details. He's talking about changing the entire tone of his voice. Well, if you want to, you can speak lower, but you just have to be more deliberate about it. And when he breaks it is usually during these rants, like the Wendy Williams rant or um, I'm trying to think of other things like uh, the the Amanda Peet shriek. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. there's an example of Howard with his real voice going, you know, breaking the sound barrier. Uh, Ben? Yeah. Well, she uh, his his vocal coach taught him some diaphragm techniques also hot water helps to deepen your voice and of course mm-hmm. he he tried cigarettes which would have deepened his voice if he'd <laughs> suck with them he he claims he was doing three packs a day at one point and he's he's always said it was to make his voice deeper so um yeah. b- but between technology and all of the different physical things he's doing to maintain his voice. It's, I think one of the reasons why he doesn't like to interact with people socially is because it's very hard to upkeep his persona from the fake voice, the fake jawline, you know, the fake hair, which you can't get close to the eyes, mm-hmm. which you must never look directly into. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of things that he's, you know, that he's very aware of as he's yeah. uh, out, out in the real world. The cigarettes is no joke, though, like Lucille Ball, for example, you watch her and I love Lucy and then you watch her in Stone Pillow, which I dare anybody to watch and not die (laughs) laughing. And, you know, she's this homeless lady coming out of a trash can in the first scene. And her voice is a ton lower than what it originally was. Her register is completely lowered from cigarettes. Well, yeah, then there's and there's people that naturally had a lower voice. They had a, they naturally had some kind of graspy, like, you know, certain singers like Kim Carnes, um, you know, Mia. Um, I was trying to think of another more like uh, Melissa Etheridge. Re- 
Yeah, like raspier, you know, and I, they and it sounds great. It's a great sound. A lot of people would love to sound that. Stevie Nicks had a great voice, like a very unique uh, singing voice that you couldn't. Um, I don't think you could. I don't think you could emulate it very easily. I guess that's the that's the real crux. Anyway, just wanted to point that out because um, you do hear such a dis- discrepancy between. The Howard now narrating his life story, mm-hmm. and this is keep in mind twelve years ago, and the clips he plays, which is true. If, if I were him, I would try to stay away from that, but he, he couldn't. Obviously, he couldn't. Uh, which uh, it was yeah, debatable. Is that going to fly? I think there, there was some question about that. It was just a kind of a culture shock. Detroit was crazy. I mean, first of all, I, I've documented this many times how they lied about the, the facilities. Hey, Marvin, what happened to the new building? I told you we're going to build a new building. Yes, we got to build an audience. <laughs> Detroit was really a real struggle, and I wasn't sure what to make of my career at that point. I was still very insecure, and when Detroit didn't really work out, you know, I, in my career, I've been responsible for saving so many radio stations that were on their last legs, but Detroit was what, like, you know, I couldn't lift that one on my shoulders. Guys, guys, don't worry. When we go into the other audio, we'll be telling the real story of how he failed in Detroit, Um, and he was going up against Steve Dahl as well. I, I need Ben for this. Yeah. So this station, you know, the ratings are done every quarter and Mm -hmm. stations can fluctuate greatly in the ratings in a single quarter. So about two quarters before Howard was there, they were the number one rock station, the station. Um, But it's so fickle, the market, that uh, the other station, which was which I believe spent a million dollars that quarter on advertising, which was a lot of money back then. Mm -hmm. uh, They spent a million dollars on doing cash giveaways so you pay, you know, you listen to us and you'll win money, that kind of thing. Um, sponsoring concerts um, and, and doing marketing material, you know, free bumper sticker giveaways and so on. They spent a million dollars and became number one. So when yeah. Howard got there, he was expecting, you know, you better do this kind of thing for me, too, because uh, there's no way I'm going to be number one just based on my uh, my material and <laughs> The same uh, songs that everybody else is playing, but at this right. point, this at this point, I believe this station knew. They mentioned that um, Shamrock was the owner. Yep, I think that they already knew at least management. Uh, and I, in fact, I think I read an article about this. We're not spending any more money on this station. There's no way we're going to invest more money on it. We're going to change formats entirely and get out of this yep. competitive extra competitive uh, uh, format, which is rock market. And at the time, country music was very big. And uh, this was not just, you know, like a a cop-out. This was Western music, country Western music was very popular. It doesn't matter what city. And Mm -hmm. uh, Detroit didn't have one at this point. So it made sense for them to just jump formats and immediately, you know, be the, you know, meet the need that the market had. And so I think that they knew Look, we don't have very long. There's no way we're going to top these other guys. Let's just see if we can, you know, maintain. But they didn't foresee that not only would Howard not hold the position that they were in, but that Steve Dahl would enter the market. The man who Howard was stealing from, and Detroit knew Howard was stealing from them because Steve Dahl was in Detroit before in Howard's job at that same station before going to Chicago. So Howard had a perfect storm against him of no money to market and the man you're stealing from is coming back into the market and letting everybody know here's the real guy not the imitation not the cover guy 
So mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's so his claim that he was able to save stations, but he just couldn't do this one. <laughs> what stations? The first station he worked at didn't even get measured. It wasn't even <laughs> it, it was strong it, enough a signal. It yeah. wasn't a strong enough single signal to even be measured for in Arbitron. The yep. second station, he was only there for 10 months. So yep. uh, there was no credit for him saving the station. So nope. anyhow, in this in the 10 months that he was there, he underperformed. If they knew in advance they were going to flip formats, it didn't matter who was going to be in the chair. Yeah, actually, because let me give you a quick. This is from a 1981 newspaper in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. <clears throat> briefly in 1979, the station, meaning W4, the station rose to the top of the rock heap. This was 1980 when Howard got there. So 1979 is when they were briefly at the top. Um to a lofty position, second only to the mighty WJR in the overall ratings. So only one station overall. That was probably a news station because that's typically who would hold the number one. Um, The uh, W4's ratings nosedived amid a flurry of management and staff changes. I want to point out to you, Howard's name is not even mentioned in this article. He's so, <laughs> he was so meaningless to Detroit that they just, mm-hmm. they just count him as staff changes. Yeah. During a flurry of management and staff changes, not long after the station stabilized again, it was devastated by the arrival of a new rock station. Though W4's history may be extreme, it is hardly atypical. And if there's a moral to the tale of W4's bumpy ratings ride, it may be, as former W4 disc jockey Mark Addy put it, don't get into radio for security. Um, and anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting story that just, and Steve Dahl has mentioned here, another key factor was the recruitment of Steve Dahl and the Breakfast Club from competitor WABX-FM that year. The morning drive had been the make or break time slot for formats like Top 40 for years. And Dahl brought that kind of an orientation to W4. That's the station that Howard was now at. When he left for WLUP in Chicago, Johnson took over the morning slot along with Dahl's former partner, George Bear. Anyhow, Howard, Howard's stay was so insignificant that's not even mentioned in this article. Well, if right. you're going to compete, if you're going to compete in that realm, like they said, they knew unless they flooded the market with cash and all yep. these giveaways, you're not going to yep. you're not going to be able to sustain. Even- and you're going to you, you flood it with cash, and you have a temporary meaningless victory because the right. next station will say because they spend that money and it comes back to them in the form of advertising. advertising so, um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, at the beginning that of this article. That was a dumb move, by the way. <laughs> well, for this, well, the beginning of this article says in an average day, Detroit advertisers spend $156,000 talking new cards, concert tickets, pimple medicine, and so on to an audience of 625,000 listeners. Um, yep. So, so uh, let me just quickly say WJR AM, that's the news thing, reigns supreme, lopping about $15 million off of the $57 million that are spent on advertising in Detroit stations. So anyway, the rest were competing. They, they, um, they held the number one spot as news stations typically did because you just get in the car and flip on the news. So when Howard would say he was number one, by the way, he usually means number one personality, not number one overall. That's right. Didn't really fully understand the idea of no holes barred. I was honest on the radio to a point. I needed to break through and really rip it up. And I, I think I could have done something in Detroit, but I just I didn't have all the pieces put together yet. Former intern Jack Randall. You know, the morning guy was Mark McEwen, who up until maybe three years ago was the weather entertainment guy on the CBS morning show. McEwen gives notice to go to the Loop in Chicago. 
and Lee Abrams was the consultant, and I remember him coming in, and that position was originally offered to a guy named Pat Still, Howard's gig, the morning gig. Pat worked at WIOT in Toledo, which was a very uh, successful AOR station down there. I mean, they they just would kill in the ratings. They got like a, you know, I want to say like a 20 share. I mean, they just dominated that market. What? He was the morning guy. He was the PD. What's that? That's 20 share? 20% yeah, 20. of our audience is listening. That's that's hard to believe. Yeah. It's, it's a so massive One out of every number. five cars is listening to that station, to an to an album-oriented rock station. I, that mm. sounds like a guy who might be inflating a number. Da-da, da-da. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember him coming up to the station and getting courted and stuff. And then they offered him the gig, and he went back to Toledo and said, you know, I, I want to do this, and they've offered me this, blah, blah, blah. And they offered him a piece of the station to stay. So then I guess the second choice, I mean, the next thing I knew, Howard was there, and the other guy that was hired at the same time was Les Cook. They started the same day. DJ Les Cook. I think what he did on his first day on the air, as I remember, he called Ford Motor, tried to get everybody the day off because it was his first day on the air in Detroit. You know, he would go through the runaround of all the different operators referring him to this person. This is just, and by the way, guys, that one I'm going to play one bit that comes up where he calls the, um, I think the Iranian or Iraqi embassy. And um, I think I'm not sure if it's listed in the book, but it's it goes nowhere. It really is just one of those yeah, that's filler every things. D, every shock DJ was doing that bit. I mean, um, for what? Steve, do where you call the U.S. embassy, you call an embassy and you try to stir up, you try to order chick fried chicken for them or whatever it is. For some reason, I think Steve Dahl did it. He did the Ayatollah song, um, mm-hmm. but uh, that whole thing of on my first day, I'm going to call and try to get everybody the day off. That's his stupid go-to Stick. thing. So he'll yeah. call at school and say, can you give all the kids the day off because it's my first day on the radio? Or the mm-hmm. mayor, can you make today a holiday because it's my first day on the radio? Um, I have here some of the other bits that he did. That, well, that's really interesting, though, because when he had Hillary Clinton on, the first thing he said, he made fun of Bernie Sanders for saying, oh, because he was the guy who's going to give away free lunches. Remember? <laughs> and so now he's the radio guy who's like, can you give everybody the day off? Yeah. I mean, which obviously the answer is no, but I, I guess he thinks he's getting, a, he's getting an awesome like clip for his reel there. The guy yeah. going, yeah, who are his you? Donut. <laughs> yeah. So he says, yeah, his donut. He says, um, we had go back to bed day where we got bosses to let the lucky winners go back to bed with pay. I did a lot of dial dates, which I started in Hartford. See, Steve Dahl started. Steve Dahl started. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and that, that's part of the problem that, you know, Howard says, you know, I think I could have done something in Detroit except dot, dot, dot. Steve Dahl, who I was stealing everything from, came. Um, he says he got penthouse pets as contestants, which I don't know. Um, he he claims that uh, uh, that I did anything to get noticed. I I entered a local Dolly Parton lookalike contest. <laughs> what? Yes. 
<laughs> what did he look like? That trans teacher in Canada? I, I yes, <laughs> huge that's exactly boobs? yes, that's exactly what he would have done. I'm sure he would have walked out there with that big Muppet open mouth smile that he does, uh, where he's just open mouth, which just means I'm smiling. That he, I'm sure, imitates from his puppets. Um, I swear to God, that guy in Canada is trolling. There's no I, way those prosthetic yeah, breasts are real. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I wrestled women and lost, which he took from Andy Kaufman, on the front lawn of the station at 8 a.m. And then he did some stunt with Republicans um, for their convention. And he gets into public uh, – sorry, it's public appearances, which we'll probably cover later. Yeah, a little bit. Throw him up to the next person. And it was hilarious the way it was coming down. When he first got on the air, he was like Colin Coleman Young, who at the time was the mayor of Detroit and kind of a character in his own right by any stretch, trying to get him to, you know, declare Howard Stern Day in Detroit or something. And me and uh, the, the rest of my drug addled rock and roll friends were just kind of looking, going, what the hell's up with this guy? And, you know, if I had half a brain, I would have hooked up with him and, uh, you know, whatever. But I don't think he had the full on Howard act going yet when he was in, in Detroit at W4. But certainly it was an interesting time and place. W4 Air personality, Chuck Santoni. I remember him uh, when he was at, at W4 uh, showing up every day, you know, in a pair of jeans and a polo shirt. I mean, or a T-shirt. <laughs> I just remember him as a pretty normal guy. Actually, he was pretty polished by the time he got to the four house. And his first day on the air, you know, I followed him on the air and the phones were just, you know, going off the wall about it. Everybody. <laughs> this, I have, I find it hard to believe. The I phones were going. Music. Yeah, well, the music's and ironically enough, all songs he would never be able to name, choose, or play anywhere. <laughs> oh, something came. Well, there you go. Worth. Oh, putting. there it is. That, that, yeah, there we go. Something, okay. Oh, there it is. So okay, it just came it's, up. It's very blurry, but incredibly I'll tell you what it rare. Is. Yeah, I'll tell you what it is here. Incre what? Incredibly <laughs> rare. Howard Stern, 1980, Detroit, W4 <gasps> Media Guide. With Howard's autograph. So I really wanted to buy this thing. Of course, I, I came too late. So oh. the, listing says, the listing says, hello. So my dad worked at a box office for a theater in Detroit area from around 1977 to 1992. He made it a habit of keeping all kinds of memorabilia from his theater days. And after not doing much with most of it for over 20 to 30 years, has asked me to go through and see if there's anything that could find a better home. Uh, let me skip ahead. Oh, upper, my upper God. Bit. Yeah, Up for Bid is a 1980 Detroit W4 radio media guide featuring the new up-and-coming star of morning radio, Howard Stern. It's an 18-page guide that Detroit's W4 issued at the start of the year to different area promotional people. Um, it's signed by Howard, very early Howard signature to go on top of the media guide from his first real bid radio job. Um, also, the switch to country format here is what spurned Howard's decision to leave. So... Let me just uh, – it's just very oh, difficult fuck. to read. Why did you get this? Why? Why? I, oh, I, I mean, this was years. It. I, yeah, it was years after I – when I found it. It was had been sold out for years. What? So this Who is uh, the W – yeah, I know. So this is the W4. It's got a picture of Howard. They're all staged. He's wearing the W4 T-shirt. He's talking to the phone because um, that was a novelty then is like putting the collars on and talking to them. So here's what it says. I'm going to try to read it because it's very um, – Look at that very, it's, it's a really small picture, yeah. Yeah. So it says, controversial, outrageous, unpredictable. Somehow, the same tired adjectives are always used to describe morning personalities. The standard press release cliches are so overworked, they've gone out on strike. Now, a disc jockey finally comes along that actually deserves this kind of hype. And all of the good words are used up. 
It's tough to introduce the savior of morning radio when the only words left to describe him are the ones nobody else wanted. Nonetheless, allow us to introduce you to Howard Stern. He's ubiquitous, extemporaneous, historic, epigrammatic. What does that say? Loose. Uh, is that what? Is that what? I can't. I can't. I can't Felic- see what it says. Felicitous. Obtuse? Ambidextrous. I can't. I, I no, don't know yeah, what that. Yeah, the one yeah. before that. Okay, so then. So okay, rock around the clock. Howard Stern. If the guy next to you from six to ten, it says, if the guy in the car next to you is laughing out loud. Chances are he's listening to Howard Stern. Howard's show is an invigorating mix of rock music, comedy madness, and the vital information you need to start your day, including good old-fashioned time checks, weather, and traffic reports. (laughs) W4's Debbie Beller interrupts Howard's Coney Island of the Mind. Coney Island of the Mind. Remember that they referred to Chicago Joe? As doing something of the mind, I don't remember what t- what it was exactly, but yeah, something of the mind is what they were. Okay, oh, time Coney time. Island, Coney Island of the mind to report complete news and sports twice an hour. Debbie's newscasts are followed by two minutes of youth-oriented news from the NBC source. Seriously, now who else but Howard would enter a Dolly Parton lookalike contest? <laughs> uh, yeah, he was really proud of that that Dolly yeah. Parton lookalike contest. Um, but I I seem to recall there being more pages. If I can find them, I don't want to hang up on hang you guys up on I'm this. But if so I can find them, I'm so sad that you I didn't know. get this. I know. Yeah, I know. This would have been. I believe me. I've had it as a search. I've sa- I've saved it on uh, uh, as a as an alert on eBay, so that if it ever comes up again, I'll be alerted. So depressed. When uh, we I have Opie and Anthony swag from when they came here for like a beach thing, and it was. I, it's just so ridiculous. I have like a tank top. It was like whip it out Wednesdays or something. But like people on the beach were like shoving zucchini up like mm. girls' vagina. It was wow. crazy. It used to be on YouTube, but I think it got taken down. Sometimes what happens, these guys with the channels, they get them, they, up, they upload stuff, they leave them, they even don't do anything with their channels, and then when they go away, they never replace it again, or they've died, or um, they're just fed up with having to re-upload these things, they and they've even, got it on a hard drive, and they just let it you know, stew. They had all the footage of it from that day, and then they even had um, the next day when they recorded, and they said, Buffalo is insane. They're like, this is the great, they're like, I've never, I was like, it's like a Bills game. You go to the, we we have nothing to do after Bills season. So we all go to the beach and look like embarrassments. And it was strictly that. It was really funny. Yeah. So I found the page uh, that was missing and it's a high quality page here. It's from the press kit, which is what his station would have sent out. You know, the average, the, uh, the sales team would have taken these things out to potential advertisers to familiarize them with the station. So here's our new cast of characters. Here's the kind of thing you can be, you know, that your um, ads could be heard against this kind of content. So this page of Howard, it's got, it's set up to be like, it's, it's formatted as though it's a film strip. Uh, and it's got Howard taken all on the same day. You can tell by his jeans there that his pocket He's got some kind of like key hanging out of his front pocket. So they just switched his shirts to make it seem like it's him on different days. But it's him with a hoodie and him with his W4. And he's got the phone up to his face. And he's got this really conspicuous, suspicious hair. 
Suspicious. Yeah. And uh, Howard has talked about this before, by the way. Howard has said that Robin saw a picture of him from W four days and thought yeah. I she thought he he was in, she was in love with him because of how handsome he looked in these pictures, so right. I assume this is what we're talking about here. But here's the here's the um, page of content, the blurb that they use to describe Howard. With W 4s Howard Stern, nothing is taboo anymore except boredom. Boredom. This was written by the marketing team, yes. like a teenage. Like a teenage girl with her own extension. Why they choose girl? Why like a teenage did... girl. Yeah, with her own extension. An extension, like hair extensions, yeah, meaning right, encroaching right. on your fucking eyebrows. Like a teenage Excellent. girl with her own extension. Howard talks on the phone constantly, armed with an unlimited budget and a pocket full of unlisted numbers. Howard takes his listeners into bedrooms and boardrooms around the world as He's the a... undisputed math. Yeah. Go ahead. This sounds like grooming. Like, if you listen to this, it sounds like something you should flag on social well, let's media. Just, let's just change it. Let's just change it for a second. Like a teenage girl with her own extension, Jeffrey Epstein talks on the phone constantly, uh, armed with <laughs> like unlimited budget. Change that. He's actually a man. So he's a third. So listen to how weird this is. He's a 30 something, right? Takes his man. He would have been like 27, I guess, at this point. Okay, so he's a 27 year old man with his own extension on the phone constantly with an unlimited budget and a pocket full of unlisted numbers. It's like a sex trafficking <laughs> uh, blurb I've never seen before. Great. Yeah. It's, and it, they're making it sound risque when they say Howard yes. takes his listeners into bedrooms. But really what he means is he calls them and says, guess what? You're getting the day off with pay. That's not, it's not like yeah. they're how does that the even phone, happen? Put the phone up next to you. Yeah. That's not that. Oh, uh, they would recognize, they would get the boss to recommend an employee who deserved a day off and then oh. uh, call, call him up and say, you know, you think you're getting fired. Good news is you get the right. day off. Hey, stay in bed. Okay. So it's right. we're going to, we're going to play, we're going to play name that tune and you can win yeah. 20 bucks. And I guarantee you this was done in every city in the country. This is not Howard Stern mm-hmm. exclusive stuff. This is mornings, which by the way, he was morning zoo. He wasn't shock jock really at this point. He was morning zoo. And that's really, oh, yeah. um, uh, a parent when he goes to to DC and brings in the guys to clap and laugh at everything. Mm-hmm. Morning Zoo. He he still is Morning Zoo. He just is more uh, X-rated. But he's <laughs> do, do you want me? Do you want me to continue reading that a little bit? Oh, I, yeah, I'll, yeah. I keep going because I'm really. Uh, I love uh, revisiting this thing here. Me too. Okay. okay. So as, uh, as the oh, as the uh, as the undisputed master of his instrument. <laughs> His instrument, meaning his dick, obviously, the double, this clever double entendre that they came up with in the writing room at Three's Company. Howard is a living, breathing ad for the next best thing to being there. Howard steps on a few toes, bruises a few heels, and occasionally puts his foot in his mouth as he lets his fingers do the walking with foreign dignitaries, celebrities, and newsmakers. The results can be excruciatingly funny, genuinely entertaining, and occasionally embarrassing to the management. <laughs> Well, can we okay. let Ben read? I want to hear him. Please. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. That's, that's be- because. That's because in the tradition of the great Willendas, Howard works without a net. His phone call, except that it's pre-recorded. It's not live. <laughs> the net The net is, it's pre-recorded. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. Uh, he works without a net. Uh, what, okay. His phone calls His are phone real, calls. unrehearsed, and spontaneous. <laughs> this sense of danger is the lifeblood of the show. Howard explains, spontaneity can only happen <laughs> when you take the idea that anything can happen. This is... <laughs> This is like our vice president talking. Let me start over. Spontaneity. Don't start talking about electric school buses, Ben. Yeah. Spontaneity can only happen when you take the idea that anything can happen and that your listeners are the ones who come up with all this great stuff. By the way, that's big to Howard. Let somebody else come up with all the great stuff (laughs) while I get paid. So anyway, your listeners come up with all this great stuff. That's exciting. Music is important. But the most important thing to me is opening up the airwaves and letting some exciting radio happen. We make a radio show that's about people, a fun show, a wacky show where anything can happen. And then they go back. That was the end of his quote and usually does. In the hands of Howard Stern, radio is a two-way street where nothing is taboo except boredom. Howard comments, people should demand that more be given to them through the radio. They should demand that radio talks back to them. Disc jockeys have been held up on this pedestal for too long. Howard is that rare performer that can be appreciated on several different levels. Several? There's a really bad glare in this photo here, so I'm going to have to struggle with some of these words. But it says, certainly someone who plays push-button roulette. Uh, Something Stern's madness as light, refreshing entertainment. Uh, but beneath the tongue-in-cheek nonsense lies a rich vein of social commentary and political <laughs> satire. What? <laughs> With real staying power, baskets of mail reveal an increasing number of wide-awake fans, woke fans, that stay tuned into Howard's show from start to finish, like a daily dose of Doonesbury or a peek at Bob, Ta- Bob Talbert's column, listening to W4... <laughs> is becoming a morning ritual for thousands of Detroiters. Thousands. Thousands. Do you know the irony there? Is, do you know the, the irony there? There's a, no, it's a number the list of irony thing, ironic things there. He trashed Doonesbury and Gary Trudeau in Playboy in the uh, 94 interview uh, and said, I don't know what the fuck that is. And they're comparing him to Doonesbury, which mm, is the ironic yeah. thing. Like he's, yeah, he's, there's no said that. Imagine Political that. commentary. Now, that's just a puff piece. Of course, like you said, that was. Well, yeah, it's, standard. it's hardly a piece. That's not a, that's written by his own marketing team. Sure, but it's that's something journal. that that's something that he would have today, um, written for him in the form of you know Howard Stern comes yeah. again or something yeah. or another you know uh, puff piece from Esquire or Rolling Stone no, who kisses exactly ass. This is exactly what it is, Fillmore. When we do the Blast or we do yes. People Magazine or we do sure. Us Weekly, they put these pieces out now because yeah. because print magazine is in such dwindling, you know subscribers obviously people don't buy this shit anymore it's just not happening so what do they do their new revenue is dead celebrities basically on the social scene they they will pay publicists to get them in these fluff pieces whether it be Mm -hmm. people yahoo us yeah i would say i would say these howard articles rarely make it into print i mean they're just web articles that just need a they they need to get content constantly on their homepage. So, yep. you know, they bang out this quick Howard thing and yep. go fishing with it. Next clip, guys, go Wiggy the Bellboy at the Renaissance Hotel. When I went to Detroit to do radio, 
I literally, uh, it was my wife wasn't with me. Uh, she was back Steve in Perry. Connecticut, still working. And I would just sit in a room, stare <laughs> at the wall, imagine what would be on the show the next day, and wait till the next day, drive to the radio station, do the show, and come back. Never leave my room. I would never leave my room. <laughs> We're going to get more of that later. Well, it sounds it sounds like he didn't need to, Fillmore, with all of the amenities that he had. You say, the- well, let, well, look, the Renaissance Center, guys, was state of the art. Like at the time, he had everything. It was, it was not a cheap place to stay, certainly. And the the area they were trying to gen, they were trying to gentrify it and build it up. And that was going to be the big start. And it doesn't have any peer in Detroit even to this day. Yeah, but he's treating it like every day is an air raid drill. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and he, and he didn't have to leave. He could have stayed in that whole complex and never left except to go yeah. to like a gig or something. But he's acting like he was in Alcatraz <laughs> and he was fashioning a head to put while he's digging a tunnel out every night. Yeah, this is really this is no different from when he stayed at the um, the temple where, you know, there's no talking. There's no, you know, ben, it's no different than now. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. His mansion. And, and, it has, and it has absolutely nothing to do with picturing what he's going to say on the radio. Because if you remember, spontaneity is his big thing. We just read. Right. We just read the, the marketing material. You, you honestly, plan ben, spontaneous. We haven't done it yet. But we're going to run the <laughs> Kissing Bandit video one time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my favorite, the, the editing you did in that was perfect. And oh, my yeah. favorite is <laughs> the tail end of it is him fighting off Heidi Klum. He's almost got his foot in her chest yeah. trying to get away from her. Yeah. <laughs> it really yeah. is. He, yeah. well, the, only, well, the only person he will not kiss is a woman. I is believe a woman. And, OJ, and a supermodel. OJ more than him in that video. <laughs> Yeah, I remember he wrote. There was a caption in, I believe it was Private Parts, the book, where he um, uh, he has a caption of him with Joe Franklin. He said, "Me, I demanded male to male sodomy on Joe Franklin's show, but he wouldn't have it." And I looked for a Joe Franklin clip with him in it, and I couldn't find it. Mm, I would love been, to get that. That would have been perfect for that video. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of stuff that I didn't wait for the next show, and I'll wait. Yeah, you you left out. You you had you yeah. probably had reams more to you. Uh, only because it was the same man that he was doing it to. So I just yeah. thought I can't keep hitting this same man over and over again. Him trying all these different approaches. Ben, I put that video on TikTok. Oh, you did? <laughs> because I was trying. I've never been on TikTok before, so I don't really know how to use the app that well. But yeah. I was promoting our show, and so I put that video you did and. Um, we got a huge response for it. And if you go into the comments, it is hysterical. Like, <laughs> no, it, it's a huge fight about, of course he's gay. And of course he's not gay. <laughs> and it, it's just this giant yeah. fight amongst the listeners. I mean, thousands of people. If you watch that video and go, of course he's not gay, then that means you just are religious. That he's, that no, 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 he's straight. Yeah. I don't care what evidence you give me. My religion is he's straight. I mean, this is a new avenue for us and for me personally, because I obviously know it's a Chinese spy app. So I really wasn't, Mm. you know, down to do this, except for I just thought it would broaden the audience because it has such reach and it does. And so people were watching this clip and it is hysterical if you read the comments section. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can say just sit there. It's very odd behavior. I remember the uh, the beautiful apartment that he was living in when he first rolled into town. I think that was a shocker for him. You know, he came into town and 
and like he says, saw the uh, kind of like the Wizard of Oz with the uh, <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Center. And then, uh, you know, he was living in a pretty horrible area in Detroit. And, you know, shortly after that, he moved. Ben and Ray Stern. First of all, I was always behind the scenes with Allison, packing up, getting things there. Oh. How <laughs> Doing everything for him. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah, she packs. Yes, she literally packed, and the two of them took the moving van down. Yes, I mean it's while yeah. Howard was staring at a wall. He claims, <laughs> thinking Listen, of how to I'm, be spontaneous. I'm sure both of you have moved in your lifetime. Oh, several okay. dozen times. Yes, my my parents will help me once I move, but they're not packing for me. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> packing a lunch too. It would take the plane, get there, stay in a hotel, no problem. Alice and I would take care of the situation. And Howard's head was focused on his work. He had to get there. He had to be there. He was very dedicated all the time. And so we set him up in the apartment, came home. And Do you hear that? Like, you're sending your 17-year-old off to college, and they're going to go to their dorm oh for the God. first time, and they never lived alone before. This man is 27 years old. Yes. And his mother drives out and sets him up in his apartment so that he can think about being spontaneous on the radio. This is the craziest <laughs> part to me. Song, when, when he's not playing songs and doing traffic reports and doing news things. And, you know, it's he had very little to say on the show. You know, it was you know, a few minutes of rate of, of per hour. And he was leaving that to the listeners. So, yeah. you know, so what is he sitting there and thinking, well, what number should I call tomorrow? Ben, he, she's not packing up the family. She's not right. packing up their life. She's packing yep. up him yep. individually. Yes, just like both of you said, like for college. And did you know that? So in in the movie Private Parts, Howard is waving goodbye to Fred. See you someday, pal. As he drives off with his car. Ben Stern was driving and Howard was the passenger in real life. Oh yep. my God. Ben yeah. Stern, I, I think they flew, but Ben Stern had to go and accompany him. Mm -hmm. So uh, he, he leaves that out, but it's Ben has mentioned it some player, somewhere that the two of them went to go get Howard set up. And then Ray goes and sets up, uh, you know, goes and packs everything up for him. It's really, I mean, there's never been a time in his life where he was responsible for it. Now, I would say if we were talking about this generation of soft people and children who have, you know, a generation of helicopter parenting and whatnot and woke bullshit, then I yeah. could see this. Yeah. Okay. Well, how, how, but how we're talking about. We're talking. <laughs> yes, about he life. is the first. Yes, he's this the prototypical millennial. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you know what type. He is the prototype of woke parenting. And just now, if you heard this scenario, you would think nothing of it because kids are just shameless, fucking hapeless idiots. And also keep in mind, it's like Ben said, we can't stress it enough. It's not like he was coming up with bits to fill hours and hours of time. <laughs> he literally had music and in between he had some filler bits, maybe every a couple minutes every hour where he had his own, like maybe five minutes at the end of the the certain hours. And the rest was filled with weather reports, sports it's reports, news reports. And he and then and he had a news. Uh, uh, there was a news uh, reader as well, like his yep. first Robin. But it wasn't Robin. It was someone else who yep. they claim he didn't have chemistry with. 
Um, this, yeah. this book, by the way, you guys came out in 1983. <laughs> the Peter, oh, the Peter, Peter Pan, Pan syndrome. syndrome. <laughs> so, so, so this, so Howard could have been very well studied for this book. I mean, his wife could have been studying him for this book. You know, she was a social worker who yeah. had gone to school for psychology. So uh, that was so no, new, Peter Pan syndrome in the 80s, and Howard was at the forefront of it. Oh yeah. So. Uh, so, so, so the uh, the boy who never grows up and is locked in adolescence, which Howard would go on to learn about from from his therapist and Dr. Sarno, you know, a decade later, and then say, ah, that explains homosexuality. That's what he took away from it. But anyway, yeah. that explains him. Yep. They think about though, like when you said Fillmore, he wasn't preparing for anything. Remember how Rodney Dangerfield used to prepare for Carson? Like it was word for word and he said that he would study those jokes and that entire rhetoric that he gave on the show for so long and be so nervous about it of course it looked effortless to listeners right but he put the but, but he put the work in but that's not what howard was doing he's not Reggie, rodney david no, no, no. but howard likes that howard likes that uh mythology and so he says that's what he would do when he would go on these shows. Oh, I would just right. prepare and prepare and prepare because you heard <laughs> that somebody else did that. When he says – when he does say – and I got the clip. We'll play it. When he does say to Artie because Artie was asking, what was it really like? And he was, I was just thinking of bits for the next day. And I could see him spending six hours to come up with two minutes of material. That's how stupid he is. And yeah. to figure something out. He said, I was reading newspapers. I was watching TV. I mean, I'm certain he did a certain, a, 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 a fair, a, a fair <laughs> yeah, amount right. considering now, like now what little he does with nothing he does. I'm sure he did m way more then than he does now, obviously. But he also mentions at some point that the equipment wasn't very good in Detroit. And so, and, and Fred will talk about it, that they had to do a lot of um, pre-produced stuff for the show and just insert it in. What I will say which is, is which is very much like today. <laughs> what I will say is Howard really um, relied on his father when it came to social commentary and political conversation. So he knew that his father was very well read and he would always call on him. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so it was kind of like a cliff notes of what his dad was saying when he had to inject that opinion, which to us seemed somewhat intelligent. But then he would always call his dad to kind of put that bow on it. Yeah. He was also a liar in that he went and did some um, some kind of a stunt at the Republican National Convention, even though he was voting Republican at the time. But on the radio, he was Mr. Liberal. But yeah. um I just picture him sitting there in meditation, you know, doing his mantra over and over again for three hours and then it clicking to him. I'll call Ford and ask them to give their employees the day off tomorrow because it's yeah. my first day on the radio. Or I'll call somebody at home and tell them that they have the day off so they don't have to go into work. Yeah. That's that's what your three hours of meditation gives you. Yeah. I'll that's I know brilliant. what I'll do. I'll I'll enter a Dolly Parton lookalike contest. <laughs> It's so that's hyper focused, Ben. Because yeah, meditation yeah. is supposed to bring you into your inner self. Like yeah, yeah, you're yeah. supposed to have an awakening about yourself. And that's what you probably come up with. Right. But in meditation is also designed to have you empty your mind. His mind doesn't need emptying. It needs no. filling. I think yeah. it's more likely that he was just listening to tapes of Steve Dahl and going, I'll do dial a date. I'll do this. Yeah. I'll do this. Yeah. Disco demolition. Or conversion go. therapy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> 
And then no, that hadn't like a month yet. or so later, we were invited to visit and we went there and we have the best Chinese restaurant you'd ever want to eat in. It's as good as New York. And his dad and I go and we said, horrible. This is the most horrible food we ever ate in our life. He was devastated because he wanted it to be good. Nice. However, nice, mom. It was a very short-lived experience. I know that was, that one's for Bob D, for Chicago Bob to just like take apart. I will say, coming from New York, when I went to Chicago with my mom, their pizza to me is disgusting. Like I That's right. can't the deep dish crap. Yeah, I cannot the square that all the way to the crust. Right. I just style? can't. Yeah, I can't eat that pizza. I was just. So everybody talks about it. So you think some way of it, but pizza really is regional. Like what it's, you grow well, up with yeah. is what you love. Deep dish is deep dish is complete bullshit. It's just, um, it's it's well, a poor man's cachada. But what I'm saying is, it's really what you grow up with is yeah. what you love. Well, yeah, I but the type, other thing I, is, how, how, sorry, go ahead, Ben. I said I just typed in Detroit style Chinese food to see what <laughs> kind of <laughs> see if anything. I don't see anything specific coming. And up. there's a restaurant called Ching Chong Ching Chong. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> oh God, here we go. I came to New York and we went there very infrequently. It was a plane trip, and so uh, it was difficult for us to get How there. And How frequently? I don't think there was a big impact as far as that place was concerned. No, there's nothing. That said, we weren't really part of it. Okay, go ahead. How please. frequently? How frequently can you go when you're there? Your son is there ten months, and he's yeah. gone. But they set him up like like their assistant. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm sure he's like, uh, Allison, get my folks on the phone. Tell them we got to move. Tell mom to bring her belt so she doesn't hurt her back this time. I would not be surprised if he expected his mother to call for delivery for him in Detroit. Yeah, yeah, right. A, tw a 27-year-old man who barely got into college, who goes through the slow program, thankfully passes enough to get into the full BA program. And then, and then he... Ask them to move him. I yeah. mean, that's just incredible to me. Yeah. Who would do that? See, Any of your parents? My parents love me. They would never do that. I see Ben and Ray carrying Howard's couch out, and Howard won't even get <laughs> off of it. <laughs> he just does the Photoshop. Yeah. Can you stop? Can you stop that. shaking the couch so much? And yeah. in ten months, they visited. They yeah. they went there. Yeah, after helping him move, they go and check in on the place. They probably went. Yeah, they literally. I'm sure they went one time, and that was it. Yeah, right. Do you think that? They, but still, that's a, that's a good amount. Yeah, that's a lot. Do you think that they wrote down instructions like how to use a washing machine, what to do, a dryer? Get it, get, get it right, Sam. It's, it's the laundry. Cotton. It's the laundry machine. Yeah, no, because he's married, so she does all that stuff. Yeah, no I, kidding. Yeah. Yeah, oh. no, number uh, the next one is guys called Party Time Wiggy Continued plus W four on the wall uh, W four on the fly original bit. What were your weekends like in Detroit as a free uh, with free time? <laughs> what would you do? Artie, if I told you, don't forget. Even though I was married, I was there for about two months on my own. Right. So it's Saturday afternoon in Detroit. One, you're not working. One, one. What, what's going on? 
If I tell you this about myself, you will think that I'm the most disturbed human being on the planet. Okay. And this will show you the intensity and fear in my life and the lack, the, the, the intense focus. First thing he said was fear. And that's what he really yeah. meant. Yeah, that that's that's important. He changes yep. it because he's going to. He, yeah, he wants like you said, he wants the mythology, but it li- literally was I was afraid. And the other thing was, again, yes, I understand a new place. Maybe you're not familiar with it, blah, blah, blah. But I think he'd be afraid going to his aunt's house as well. The thing is, though, he, he's going to talk about it. He had to drove he drove from the Renaissance Center to a radio station was a straight line. <laughs> I think he was afraid to go out because he would get lost. There, there is. I, I agree with a new area. I've moved to a different state. It's you know, sure. you you know, you it takes a little bit to get accustomed with things. But there are states where a lot of people are transplants. Detroit isn't one of those states, like right. like the city and you know the state. It's just not. There's a lot of especially East Coast states where people have been there for generations, right? So it has that sort of feel about it. Howard, really, I just. I just can't see him meshing with Motown City, especially during that time. I mean, it's on decline, but it's not really at the peak of decline at that point. So things are still happening, like you said. Can you imagine him in Motown City? That's just not happening. Nope. The guy who dreamed of being James Brown. It's the same reason why (laughs) I could go from 700 to 1600 in chess. All right, here it is. What I would do, I literally got to Detroit, mm-hmm. and I have no sense of direction. They showed me how to get to the station. <laughs> it was one straight line from the Renaissance Center to the station. Walkable or drive? Drive. drive. I had a okay. 1970 Valiant. I drove. Right, you drove your car up there. Okay. Right. I sat in my room. Yeah. I waited for the next show, and then I would drive to the show do my show, then spend hours producing my own stuff. I didn't have any help. You know, I had one guy who was a producer. You stay at the studio. I'd stay at the studio, <laughs> drive home. They had a uh, a fast food restaurant in the Renaissance Center. It was biscuits and chicken. Oh, I'd eat the God. same thing every meal. <laughs> and then I'd sit in my room and wait. And then when the weekends came, I sat in my room and waited. All day. All day and night. I never would. This is so <laughs> pathetic. He, he, goes, I didn't have, he goes, I didn't have any help. I had one producer. So you had a producer. Yeah, this is this is the makings of a serial killer, the way he explains it. I stayed right. in my room. I'd cut off heads off people in magazines. <laughs> I, you know, like this is what we're not hearing. I duct tape a couple women and I put them in the Valiant. Uh, I think that this, would make him too interesting. I think he literally is just afraid. You yeah. know, he's he's um, an introvert and he's afraid. That's all. Yeah. Well, yeah. because he sees he's not a very observant person, but he, I'm sure he observes enough in his environment to know if I try to go out and make friends in this environment, there is no fucking way that's happening based on how I know I am. And, and, well, wait a minute. First, and first by the all, way, he's... a local DJ, I am friends with local DJs here who have DJed here for like 30 years. They know high schools, they know bars, they know restaurants, they know events, they know people, they are ingratiated in this city like they know everybody here that's just how it goes when you're a local dj this guy sits in his fucking room how do you think you're gonna make it in a local market like that or a city with not going out and talking to people 
Well, the uh, first of all, uh, there's too many Soul Brothers in Detroit for him to feel safe yes. walking the streets, yes. right? Mm. And he, first of all, he hates music too, so music's not going to be a draw. He's not going to want to go see, I don't know, the Ink Spots perform the Letter live in in Detroit. Loads of great music halls, even at that in that the nadir of, as you guys said, the autumn. It's getting near the end of the, the auto. Our auto, the auto industry is changing drastically. But there's so much rock, especially in Detroit, yep. that originated from Detroit and bands that went through Detroit like crazy. You wouldn't have any problems getting mm -hmm. new bands to come in and do gigs for your show unless right. you are, of course, a, a shittier station. They're going to go to the one with the most ratings. And and I have a feeling like, first of all, he, if he doesn't like the music and he's a shy person, you've picked the wrong person for any job that requires this kind of, you know, uh, extroverted behavior. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, please. And, and just as Howard is uh, afraid of the Soul Brothers, he's mm -hmm. equally afraid of rock fans. Yes. Uh, so, you know, the, the, like burnout, druggy type, countercultural type, working class, mm -hmm. blue collar guys petrified him. So unless there's a synagogue around the corner where he can go and hang out. <laughs> He's not leaving the place. Yeah, unless it's Zuzazu, I'm shutting myself in my room. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Go outside. You didn't. You didn't go to the biscuits and chicken place. No, no. I mean, yeah, yeah I would walk down and then I would run back up to my room. I stayed in the room. You ate in your room, or you ate, I ate in the room. It was a takeout. I was. You didn't even walk around the Renaissance Center. My newswoman, no, never. <laughs> my newswoman once invited me over for dinner. I went to dinner once, mm -hmm. and I had dinner at her apartment. It was very nice. And <laughs> this is your <laughs> career. This is the city that you're supposed to be a voice of. Could you imagine just a local, a local newscaster, just staying in the room, getting getting oh you have to be on at five and sitting in the room not going out and observing anything about yeah. their city i mean that's and you just could probably crazy. get and you could probably get free tickets to every show radio show, every concert you know and yeah your, your station sponsoring them and you know they eventually have to pressure him and force him to go out and make himself known because he was doing nothing apparently yep. i love after I went back home. What, what a shit. Like, and I'm, so glad, sit, and I'm I would, so glad your story has a happy ending. <laughs> what a sad I'm, like. it, And I said to my psychiatrist, because this, 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 by the way, dawned on me right. during therapy. I had no concept of this. I don't remember it. The pure torture that's my life. I wouldn't leave my room for fear that I wouldn't be ready for the next show or I'd get sick. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was sure. so intensely. But it would have helped you to get around. I didn't understand. You know what? I used to think that this was bullshit, that he would just be sitting around and preparing. But now when I hear this, I think that there are some people that are so anxiety written with transition. And if you're this fake of a person and afraid to leave and be in a different environment and it takes you so it takes so much out of you to, to experience change, especially in your environment. A part of me now thinks, yeah, he's saying he's getting ready for the show. But I really, truly believe if he had parents who helped him move, if he had parents that basically did everything for him other than just showing up, and now he's by himself in an apartment in a new city, he might be that nervous about making it to the next show without any help. I I don't think that's what it is. <clears throat> I, think, um, I, do, I think he's a, a total introvert, and his life – 
has gone from I'm not going out, I'm not going out, I'm not going out to I'm only going out if everywhere I go I'm recognized and celebrated and you know they they rush to meet me because he doesn't like going out and being the unknown guy mm-hmm. who everybody overlo- who looks past and everything. You know, he's an introvert. Um so I, I think um sorry, I just kind of lost my train of thought here. No, I I'm he, hearing he, you. He's, it's- he he needs to use oh, yes. the radio. He, he would normally use the radio yes. to pro, to to create these situations where he could become that person he wants to be. Yeah. So here's what I was going to going to say: the psychiatrist thing. He's wasting all of his money going to the psychiatrist because he will bring up the fact that he didn't never left his room. But then, rather than explore why that really is, he. Uh, gives the psychiatrist the answer right away. He goes, oh, because I was always preparing for the show. So he's already polluted the therapy session because he's given a fake answer for why he didn't leave. And so they're, so the psychiatrist is helping him focus on that. Uh, how, how ser- the last thing I would call Howard Stern is prepared. He's the cat... <laughs> He is the cat ate my homework. Every single the cat ate my prep work. I made a meme of that uh, at, at uh, the old website. That he never ever watches the movie that his guest is coming there to promote. Reads the thing that the guest you know he has John Hine read it for him and give him notes. The last thing he is is prepared. So mm-hmm. he's he's lazy first and foremost. Yep. And uh, he he just doesn't have a social drive second. So you can try to make yourself more interesting and say, I'm so focused on my career. But really, if you don't have a social drive and you're lazy and you're an introvert, that's really not any compelling reasons to go out. There's the other the other thing is, and I completely lost track of this. If he if we if he, if he is gay as we believe or bisexual and doesn't feel comfortable and that's another element of why he wouldn't feel comfortable in mm. a rock club certainly in 1980 that yeah. would certainly be another factor in staying home as well Sam well I don't think that he prepares like Ben said I don't think he does I do think for somebody as not on the ball with being able to get his shit together. Like he said, he was two months without Allison or his parents. He's in a new city. Think about what it takes him to get out the door. Now the team around him that he has the limo driver, Ralph, Benji, everybody who's around him just to get him to a studio Mm. now to do what he does. And this is before COVID I'm talking about. I don't think that it's easy for him. And I think he gets anxiety over going anywhere without yeah. significant amount of help. Yes, but also it's but also it, it, are there celebrities? Is there celebrity on the end, a teat that I can suck off of to that's you know, make ben, this worthwhile? And that that's where, brings us back to what Ben's talking about. Yes, that's exactly where Ben's right, where he's not going to go somewhere unless it's already known that there's going to be a crowd celebrating him. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I I was so afraid that I wouldn't be there for the next show. I wanted to be, you know, a success so bad. I wanted to do well that I would sit and listen to my listen to the radio show in my head and try to get in touch with it. So it was more. Yes. Yeah, Steve, more Steve about Dahl's radio for show. success or like being antisocial. No, I, I don't even. I didn't know any different. Uh-huh. I didn't know what to do with myself. Uh-huh. My point is, what kind of what kind of better? Of course. I mean, what yeah, kind wait. of you living your life? What kind of human being uh, exists like that? See, that's Does where it, an interest, you, had, you had nothing to put on I the radio. Would, 
doesn't this flying contradiction of the fact that he was dating models in college and such a social light <laughs> and everything yeah, else? It was funny. I was just thinking about college. This is the guy who only went to Boston University because his best friend was going to Boston University. And then they, yep. you know, I'm going to go stay in my friend's room. So, you know, and if my friend can't go out, I'm not going out. I'm uh, just yep. staying in all night. So this is not this is not unheard of behavior. This is just this is him. How yeah. does this how does this match with the fact that he gave his own mythology of saying, oh, we had this really raucous radio show that was so cutting edge and we were on the front line of doing all this crazy shit. And now he's saying he can't leave his room. Yeah. Well, uh, he wants to have his cake and eat it too. I'll be an I'll be a you know uh, an iconoclast when I want, and I'll be a recluse when I want, and they'll both be you know two parts of the same. It's like a like the you know a, a deck of cards, and you see the jack, and you invert it, and you got the the you know this. Yeah. Anyway, I think I, I mean I think yeah. part of it too is to him that he gets to blame radio for what is inherently he just doesn't have a very big social drive but yep. and it, you know he he would rather say i blame my career cuz all i can do is think about my career and that's not it's just not true he's just trying to make himself a little more interesting sounding uh more committed to his job than he actually is and there's no you know it, at his old job before this his program director would call him at night and they would produce the show like here's what what'll go on on the show tomorrow he wasn't having that now but uh Regardless, he he definitely wasn't choosing. Oh, I have to go and um, deny myself these cravings of going out and spending time with the blue collar men and seeing concerts and all of that because I just have to focus on my radio show. That definitely was not what he was doing. No, he wasn't, it wasn't. Depriving, he wasn't denying himself anything. I what I really blame it on though is the media for not doing their job in the beginning of his career of pointing out these discrepancies and really yeah. saying you can't be saying this about the narrative of your life while it obviously proves false and the fact that it snowballed for so long into this narrative that he puts out is why it's so hard for people to change it and really show what it is so i'm glad we do this and but it is always going to be this narrative that he has produced and snowballed forever. Well, the other thing is the, when when journalists go out and they're assigned a beat, they're going to talk about they're going to interview a, view a band, a star, whatever. They're going in presuming they're going to get honest answers from these people, especially if they're talking about music. You're going to ask, how did you make this album? You changed studios, you have new producer, whatever. And you expect they're going to they're not going to they're going to give you the truth or as much as close to the truth as possible with Howard. Like, do you expect that he's going to, you know, to tell you one thing and then there's, you know, it's another. Most people at that time, the way media worked, you had to, you had very little, you remember the microfilm where microfiche we're talking about back in the yeah. day, how you had to search yeah. for stuff that way. The card catalog, if the book wasn't there, you were screwed. You had to wait weeks if the person brought it back on time, you know, if they brought it back at all, this book that would, you know, never come for you. So, yeah. Uh, and, and in that time, like, again, if he's affable, if he's a good bullshit artist, he could convince anybody of anything for a long time. But ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, even now, he still seems to forget that there are people with hard drives, with with, you know, uh, magazines that are online. The, there are even old stuff that was not digitized is now getting on websites, Esquire, Penthouse, Playboy. And these words don't disappear. 
No, mm-hmm. they don't. And I will say you're right. Journalists too didn't have the internet back then. No. So they, they it, mean, that let alone it, So that really let, helped him. <laughs> yeah, let alone they couldn't hear Steve Dahl say, you know, if they're in New York writing about Howard, they don't know who Steve Dahl is. They don't they don't have mm-hmm. access. You know, his 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 broadcast goes 50,000 is 50,000 watts. It doesn't go that far. Better so, uh, you know, so you might be able to get a state over on a clear day. Like weather plays a role. But anyway, I also don't know what motive a journalist writing about Howard for Rolling Stone or whatever hears him say, oh, yeah, in Detroit, I was so serious about my job. I would never leave my room. And they'd be like, oh, really? Let me go listen to your old tapes and see. You know, I don't think that they would be combative like that. So okay. I think well, it he was becomes, such a non-entity. Right. Yeah, I think it. I think the combative approach that we take is because we've been duped and now we you know we go back and listen and piece things together you want an analogy you know those um those videos you'll you may see online they, they've done this for like decades where they have a baby on like a table and then there's a glass partition that it's still like it's solid they'll be able to stand but they walk to that edge and they just start looking at it and they start touching it they start feeling it because they can feel it but they can't rationalize like it's not there I, I, I know mm-hmm. I'm feeling something, but they can't understand that it's safe and their internal protection, like their, their sense of saving themselves keeps them from stepping on the glass and crawling down further. Mm-hmm. He is like that baby. It's going to take him months and months to figure out to inch a little closer and be a little braver about every aspect of his life, including the way he wants to present himself as this rebel. Just to take every Letterman interview that he did, every appearance, he got progressively like bolder, but still like it, it, during the 80s, like in the early part of the 80s, still very like middle of the road. He's, well, he wasn't that much well, of a rebel. Until Boulder, way later, when he could Boulder, get away but Boulder, but less authentic with each appearance. Yes. He was hiding yes. more and more and more of himself and being more and more of a character with every yes. right, with every appearance. Did you guys listen to the Jan Wenner interview? You know what? That's my that I I used to work for Jan Wenner, and so I canceled my subscription right before that interview. I just didn't oh, care. So to hear. He, he did you listen to him with Joe Rogan? Because they did it both. He had the Joe Rogan way. on. Oh wait. Oh no. Yeah. Joe, no. No. I didn't listen to Jan at all. Okay. So Jan uh, was interviewed by Joe Rogan, and it was the most f- to me, especially um, the, the same week of Howard. And I, I, I recommend any listener to listen to the Jan Wenner who you know runs Rolling Stone the Joe Rogan interview in the Howard Stern interview. And back, it's back really, back. really eye-opening. It's great. Yeah. Well, well it's two, but I would say repay. Oh, so, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Ben. I was going to say two completely different approaches. One is an interview and one's a conversation. I haven't, yeah. and, I, and I've heard neither, but I can, I know that Howard's is just question, 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 question. Whereas with Joe, it's, this and then this it, direction and then this direction and then this direction. The Joe one was fascinating because, you know, he was talking about uh, just how he got started with um, and why his magazine became so popular of his kind of Hunter Thompson, Hunter S. Thompson sort of uh, framework of interviewing and just being in the moment and depicting the scenes and stuff like that, which was so rock and roll and cool. And then at the same token, he did not want to include voices that were 
maybe not for vaccine mandates or maybe we're not. He would just cancel it. And Joe said, well, what do you mean? He's like, I think we need to get uh, I think we need to. Jan said, I think we need to have the government, you know, what, whatever they say, the experts. And it was so crazy to me that Jan <laughs> Wenner would say that I was just shocked. And he's like, what do you what do you mean? And it was great. You know, Joe really nailed him. And Howard's was like terrible. I'm not surprised. Papers and write material for the show or so you'd read the newspaper. And I would think what I could do to uh, make the show successful. But and I would listen to a tape playback of it so that I could get better. Of I who's was show? insane. But you never just I mean, thought I need to take a walk. I no. need to find out about Detroit. I never, I never walked. Besides, in the newspaper, no. I need to talk to another human. Maybe I'll go never. see. Maybe I'll go see I a mean, tiger game. Nothing. <laughs> never. Oh, well, that would I never did. occur to me. And during this time period too, in Detroit, there were so many acts either coming out or somewhat popular that played clubs. Yep. Yeah, but like I said, he didn't deny himself anything. It's not like he was suffering for his art. He didn't want to leave the house. And he's making up this whole thing about, for the art, I didn't leave the house. But it, Right, he hated no art. music, so why would he what go see art? He hated music. He feared, he fears the public. He's yep. suspicious at all times that danger is going to break out. And see, he needed hit a bodyguard, Allison. So when she finally showed up, then he left the house. Yeah. To get away said, from her. Yeah. No, with her. With her. He would never do anything without her. But see, he anyway. said... See, he said he was suffering for the art to prepare for his show. He also said that he couldn't know any disco bands, top 10, to prepare for his DJing set. So he's not suffering for the art in his room. He's not well, learning anything yeah. in there. Like Phil Moore said, <clears throat> you could have just looked in Billboard or Rolling Stone at the charts and just go, okay, what are they? I don't have to like these music, these songs. I just get, here's what's popular. This is what I'll play. I used to DJ. You think I loved everything I was requested? Everything, every time I fucking heard Brown Eyed Girl, I wanted to pummel someone. <laughs> and you, you got to play that shit. You had to, the Garth Brooks, <laughs> that drove me up the wall. Because that when was you, the, the ear of music you, the way you want it. Yeah, when you fuck. played Brown Eyed Girl, did you get a lot of like 50-year-old, really tanned, uh, chested women just losing their mind? No, that would that would have been on the cruise ships, but no, um, <laughs> the, uh, the the yacht rock crew they would ask yeah. for certain other things. Yeah, the air supply. Let's keep going. Yeah, I, well, I did have to go out on the weekend sometimes and do a promotion where they would. But they, that's the radio station. Yeah, taking you oh, that's it. I would never go out on my own. I've never. I never. I mean, once, like to just talk to a cab driver nothing, or anybody just nothing. to see what's going on. Robert, I'm not exaggerating. Oh, jeez. You read and, a lot. You read, probably watch a lot of television. I probably watch television. Yeah, yeah you did. Probably. What do you mean, probably? Why don't you yeah. know what you did? It's not that. It's not like it was back in. It wasn't during the depression, and you don't remember these things. Yeah, it's. He says I. He'll yeah. say I stared at the wall, but what he really means? Well, there was a television against that wall, and on it they played <laughs> shows, and I watched those things. I have here one of his appearances that he's talked. He talks about this is in, in Detroit. Okay. Um, I was in Detroit. And I was the morning man for this failing radio station, and I had no listeners to start with. So every weekend, I had to go out on a wacky promotion. I was the moron my father always said I was. I agreed to this, to this stuff. So Halloween, Halloween night, they dressed me up 
they dressed me up as Dracula, and I was supposed to appear at three or four different showings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I had to get on stage and introduce the movie. Well, first of all, nobody knew who I was. Number two, if you've ever seen an audience for the Rocky Horror Picture Show, they don't want anything interfering with the movie. They're all in costume. They got their toast. They know the friggin' movie by heart. They live for this movie. Plus, Detroit's a very angry city to begin with. Everyone's unemployed. So I went to to do the introduction, and all these lunatics were marching up and down the aisle. I felt as if it was at, I was at some kind of PTA meeting from hell. To start, I'm sorry, I started to speak, and all of a sudden, toast and garbage started flying. I was booed <laughs> unmercifully. People were screaming, get the fuck off the stage, you faggot. They were going nuts. This happened four straight times. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, my God. Okay. So they're me, dressed me... up as, as Rocky Horror, and they're calling yes. him. Right, the F word. Uh, as yeah. comparison to Tim Con or a uh, Tim, yes. There's, they're dressed up as transvestites, and they're calling him that. What's his name? name? Dracula. It's a weird conundrum to me that he has this drive to succeed, right? But he doesn't want to do the things that any person in that in that area would do if they want to succeed. Like he doesn't want to get to know people. He doesn't want to know the music. He doesn't want to know disco. He doesn't want to know Motown. He doesn't do any of the things that any of us as DJs in that area would do. I just don't understand how this is a drive to succeed. It sounds like he wants to go someplace and somebody plans, you know, suitcases of money on him. Well, that's basically it. Yeah. Why are why are you guys following me? So this is a bit, guys, that, the, as I mentioned before, it's an on-the-fly original bit that he would do on the air in uh, Detroit. All of the world's problems this morning. It's been difficult. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So I'm trying to solve all the problems. We're going to try and stop the war over there right now. We've already tried to set up Princess Caroline from Monaco with a dial-a-date. We, we've tried everything, friends. What war? We're calling the Iraqi embassy in New York. Oh. Once I stop the war, then we can go on to other problems. This might take some time. This might take a minute or two, as opposed to 30 seconds. So I hope you hang in there with me. It's already too long. Oh. I need all the support I can get. I really don't know what I'm going to do, uh, how I'm going to solve the problem. I just think that somehow the negotiations will continue on and then... And that affectation, I really don't know what I'm going to mm. do. Oh, God. It's, it's almost, again, it's very lispy in, it, in, its, in its way. What um, was going in Iraq in the 70s that we needed to well, do? Well, the Middle East has always had their issues throughout the decades. Uh, at that particular time, uh, i got to try to think, 1980. Saddam was in charge, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. He was see. in charge well, through... He was in charge of the 80s, 90s, through the, until... Through the, through the 80s until, yeah, until... Until yeah, Bush for, lied and killed him, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, something will hit me, spur of the moment. It was, yeah. Hello? Yeah, you were saying, Ben? Oh, just, uh, I knew that Steve Dahl had done the exact same thing. So, oh. it says, in, the, in the news, uh, this was from, let me see what year <laughs> this is. This is 1980, so the same yeah. year, except in February. Um... In the news on Dahl's 25th birthday, the Iranian crisis went into its 16th day. The Grand Mosque at Mecca had been invaded, 
and an American embassy in Pakistan was attacked. Um, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm reading a highlighted crisis. word. So anyway, yeah. So anyway, yes, all the DJs were getting involved in calling embassies. Um, I believe Howard later on started doing it as Fart Man, like ten years later, calling you embassies. Know what if he really had balls, he should have called the CIA and said, "What? Uh, can you explain Iran Contra for us? Why were you running drugs for the United States government? That would have been better." Yeah. Is this the Iraq embassy? Yeah. Hi, this is Howard Stern from W4 Radio in Detroit. How are you? Hi, fine. I'm live on the air this morning. Yeah. And uh, the reason I'm calling is I'm trying to solve all of the world's problems this morning. It's a thing I do. It's a shtick I do on my radio show. Mm -hmm. I've uh, tried to get a date for Princess Caroline of Monaco. Mm -hmm. And I'm just taking all the front page stories and trying to solve all the problems. Now, I noticed, I just happened to notice that you guys are fighting with Iran, right? Mm -hmm. And I was maybe, maybe I could solve the problem. How many times have we heard the same thing in this cycle of Princess Grace Monaco uh, trying to get a date, uh, trying to solve the world's problems? I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to solve the world's problems. He again, it's funny. He he never knew how to. First of all, that a bit wasn't funny, and he also never knew when to end a bit, whether it was funny or not. And yeah. it's I, 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 yes, me, yeah. Absolutely. Now, the next clip is called This All Sounds Very Familiar in 2003. Although disc jockeys were still years away from saying that sucks or using the word penis with impunity, Howard assumed greater license to talk and act dirty than he had in Hartford. <laughs> Irene DeCook, a leather-wearing customer for the Romantics, a local rock band, became the leather weather lady on his show, spicing her segments with talk of dark pleasure and pain. When Debbie Beller, the morning newscaster, mentioned on the air that she wanted to visit a nudist colony, Howard invited his audience to help her prepare for the ambiance, prompting two male listeners to strip naked and climb atop the <laughs> WWW marquee with Howard in pursuit. Live my of course. <laughs> of course he was in pursuit. Oh. Not until the naked male listeners came along. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I clipped this. Microphone in yeah. hand and held a Halloween costume contest that drew a man disguised as a giant penis. <laughs> Was it Ralph? <laughs> I was thinking about that. And the next one is um, Radio Lead in the Motor City. Howard interviewed hookers and urged his listeners to identify the most outrageous places where they had had sex. He had no use for those who professed ignorance of his show when he called them on the air asking, don't you know who I am? <laughs> the ratings during Howard's stint in Detroit show that his program underperformed or tied the station as a whole as he earned percent shares of 2.3, 3.0, and 1.6. Okay. Underperformed or tied, meaning people in the afternoon sometimes did better than he did in the morning. That's when, right. says, when they say that he underperformed or tied, that's what they mean. Normally, it's the morning show gets all the listeners. That's right. This, and not in, not in Howard's case. This is why yeah, he was deathly afraid of Opie and Anthony when they right. moved from afternoons. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's a great – sorry, there's a great quote in here that I don't think is read in the audio book. Mm -hmm. And it's an interview that Howard gave six months in to his stay. He says, with uh, the station WXYZ-TV – on any given weekend, you don't have one or two major acts. Sometimes you have three acts in an area. 
Plus, you have local clubs that are supporting bands that are terrific. There's so much music, so much excitement. I can't handle it. After milk and cookies, <laughs> after milk and cookies, I should be in bed at night. But I'm out, you know, cruising the clubs there yeah. and finding out what's going on. It's incredible the amount of music that's going on here. And it's all supported. So he's lying about cruising the clubs. Cruising well, is he is cruising, word. but yeah, yeah, exactly. which, which clubs is he cruising? Yeah. What is he, Santa Claus? Milking cookies? Yeah, yeah. A 27 year old man saying that I should be going to bed after my milk and cookies. Okay, so this is so this is in between the the clips I played. His top rated competitor, WRIF's Jim JJ Johnson, argued argued in 1995 that Howard went largely unnoticed on W4 because the station was floundering as a rock outlet. And now he goes. This is continuing the ratings. October November 1980. Nevertheless. Howard was laying out provocative fare for Detroit in 1980. Although he did not reverse the fortunes of W4, he generated enough of a response and a buzz in the market to keep him focused on creating the wild radio personality that would make him famous and rich. Okay. Um, the next part, oh, Sam? It sounds like he he just kept getting by at this point with the skin of his teeth enough mm -hmm. to keep him continuously getting different jobs. Do you know what I'm saying? Like well, most yeah. people at this at this point would just be fired, but it sounds like because of the way the market was so dissected and remember this is before the communications act was signed. So we had a lot of different media corporations, including in radio where it wasn't like a conglomerate of just these six things and they hired, it was a bunch of different things like yeah. 50 or 60. So it sounds like yeah. he really just got lucky enough. Well, no, but the thing the thing is you could have thrived as the number three person in such and such a market and still made a good enough living for yourself without being number one. I think had things not, you know, gone the way they did, that's exactly what he would have done. He would have just floundered. He would have failed like from market to market. Uh, not failed, but he would have like been mediocre in places. And because he would have worked for cheaper, uh, he would have been he would have taken whatever he could have got. I think if it, I think if he came about before that act was signed, where it uh, consolidated those conglomerates, Ben, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where the, it was the Clear Channel type shit. No, it was Infinity Broadcasting. You mean like before it became this place uh, owns so many um, uh, stations. No, it was a it was a, an act packed by passed by Congress where they consolidated all the media empires. So you know how we used to have a ton of TV stations, radio stations that were all separately owned. There was like fifty yeah, of them, they were all and then it became. Yeah, there was a certain thing in the government that was signed that that's why it happened. And I think if he so it made it more cutthroat for the people and personalities in there. And I think if he didn't come about before that, where it was. So much of that, I don't think he would have survived. I think it's the environment. He got lucky. Oh, he got lucky in a number of ways. Number one, uh, not the least of which is what Benjamin Arts already said, and I'm sure we're repeating ourselves from previous episodes. The the media had no access to internet, like uh, national other in, other national radio shows, to hear what or local, he was ripping local off. Shows, yeah, local or local shows. Yeah, and fans yeah. didn't have the ability to what, what were they going to write pen pal each other say, hey, this guy and Howard like sending each other tapes. He you got to listen to him. Oh man, he sounds like Steve Dahl. What the hell? And then the groundswell 
style of you know hack 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 you know that would have that would have if he would if he would have been Carlos Mencia he would have been yeah canceled exactly like Carlos was and um, Amy Schumer should have been but you know uh, let's continue there's a little bit more here number four uh, a Fred slaving once more. One person Howard did use on the air was his old Hartford pal, Fred Norris. There were many times that Howard would call me from Detroit, and uh, I didn't know what was going on there. It was, like, it was funny because I think when he left Hartford, his uh, parting words to me, he's like, hey, we'll work together again one day. And I was kind of like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. You're a nice guy, but this sounds like a bunch of horseshit. And it's like, you know, the real life isn't like that. You know, it's like, he may mean well, but, uh, you know, you're going to, I mean, I know how radio works. It's like, you're going to. You did not oh, know you how do. radio fucking no. works, you fucking idiot. No, you did not at that point. This is another revisionist history from fucking from Fred. That's why I included this clip. Uh, because from your he, from your years yeah. at the machine shop? Right. He was exactly. a, he worked at a machine shop before before this. <laughs> and he did a midnight show. Yeah. <laughs> with one station. Like, yeah. Get a general manager goes, Now, why am I hiring this guy? Uh, what do you expect me to pay him? What do you think he's going to do here? It's like, no, I hired you. I don't need to hire anybody else. So my thought was, okay, well, he'll go on and uh, I'm here and that's it. You know, he's a great guy. It was nice to know him and it was fun to do it. But he always kept saying, we're going to work together. We're going to work together. I'm working on these guys in Detroit to get you out here. When I left Hartford and went to Detroit, there was no money to hire Fred over there. And I wish I could have. But I would call Fred from time to time on my Detroit radio show, and he would make appearances as Howard Cosell and different characters. It was weird because there was no real way to get feedback from that because, like before, it's like it was in Hartford, so you'd see the guy later on, or you know, other guys at the radio station. So it was kind of like, did I just do something somewhere? An impression? I don't know. What did I just do? But uh, he kept calling, so it must have been working out okay. I always kept him in mind. They said, "Gee, if I ever get to the point where I could put together a group of people." Boy, I'd like to call that guy. I did not get paid anything extra for any of the uh, phone calls that they did. They were going to pay me to do that. It's like, I think they liked it. They didn't pay you for that. It's like, <laughs> so, so a lot of things just don't change over the years. Uh, I just, uh, to add to this about the thing I said, it's the Telecommunications Act of 96. And the mm -hmm. act eliminated national ownership cap for radio stations that the FCC had established and modifies local radio ownership limits. The act increases the national audience reach for television stations and radio stations ownership to 35% to 25% in 1996. So that's why I yeah. said that. And this next one I should have played before, but I'll play it now. This one sounds even more familiar. I decided to cut down the barriers and just go into being myself on the air, he told a reporter. Strip down all the ego. I mean, what prevents an announcer from talking about the fact that he has hemorrhoids? Because he oh. has an ego. Well, I thought, let's strip that away and be totally honest. <laughs> okay, so ass, gay, naked men, penises. Yeah. Are you detecting a trend here, boys and girls? It's never his honesty only comes from things that we notice that he doesn't want to reveal the honesty about stuff like that, about hemorrhoids or anything embarrassing that he reveals on purpose. Isn't something he is embarrassed about or cares. No, no. It's just, yeah, normal, polite 
civilized people might be embarrassed by these things. Right. But, but, and then, you know, you take that and go, oh, wow, he's very transparent just because he's willing to talk about a couple of things that most people, uh, you know, are, are, are too civilized to talk about. That doesn't mean he's transparent. He's just willing to talk about those few things. It's actually a really manipulative ruse for making him seem transparent because yeah. you in your normal person brain would think, well, if somebody's willing to mention something about hemorrhoids, then they must be very honest, but it's not. <laughs> it's a real fucking yeah. manipulative ruse. Yeah. Uh, added to that, he keeps telling you he's the most honest man in the world. So that yeah. makes you think, oh, he really is honest. He just said yeah. so. Now, page 58, boys and girls, is not given in the audio book, so we're going to have to read some of that. Page 58 at the very top. Some of the listeners hated him because he did not shut up, but they stuck with his show to find out what he would do next. In place of a music-driven morning program, Howard's gacking left room for as few as two or three songs an hour, and uh, even though some of his talk was just plain silly. While impersonating President Jimmy Carter badly, Howard took a call from a woman wanting to know why the federal government didn't address his, its financial woes by using lottery money. They make over a million dollars a week, she said. They do? The president replied. Gee, no one told me about that. I figured the only one making that kind of money was my brother Billy off the Libyans, a reference to Billy Carter's controversial lobbying. So, um, Ben, would you like to read the next paragraph? Yeah. <clears throat> Not yet a full-blown shock jock. Howard had made it to blunt jock. He ridiculed a new album by Peter Frampton while representative of the Rockstar's record company was while a representative of the Rockstar's record company was on the show. When the visitor later gave a high score to a listener who sang in that morning's talent contest, Howard remarked, you like that? I got to be honest with you. I didn't like it. I thought that was lousy. On a station that aired artists such as Journey, Ted Nugent, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Howard was still maintaining, publicly at least, that the music <laughs> filled a vital role on his program and in his life. I think competition is healthy, he told Detroit's WXYZ TV. Every time there's a morning show on that sounds good, the Motor City is getting a lot more entertainment, a lot more rock and roll. And you have that much more to choose from. And competition is always healthy. You can get on the air and just do just about anything you want as long as you're playing rock and roll records. Because that affords you the opportunity to get on the air and go crazy, go nuts. Because rock and roll is that kind of inhibitionless medium. It's fantastic. You, it's it's fascinating that it's just fascinating. He says this because yeah. competition is healthy. There is nothing that made him more happy to to stick it to the competition in the most underhanded ways possible. Yeah. Yeah. He he. That's the last thing. Like according to Robin, he wanted to stay afternoons. He didn't want to go to the mornings where there'd be competition. Right. He goes, "We're number no. one." Well, there's no one else at this time, <laughs> you know. Uh, so he's not a person that's he's not a, a type whatsoever. Sam, and did I'm, you want to read the? Do, sorry, did you want to read the last paragraph on page fifty-eight? And you can skip um, the um, the last the the last very last sentence at the bottom of page fifty-eight and go to the next paragraph. I'm guessing when he said the thing about the lottery, by the way, now they collect on the lottery for taxes and they collect mm -hmm. for, you know, in the lottery, if you don't pay child support in New York and say you have like a huge undue bill of child support oh, and you oh, win the lottery, overdue? they'll take it from you automatically. So I'm guessing Good. that was an oh. Yeah. Guys, I found I knew that there was an I found another full page from that 
from that marketing material. I did, oh, there's great. a quote in there that I, that I wanted, I wanted you to hear. I'm going to, I'm okay. going to forward this to you as well. Uh, okay. Just give, you might want to cut this part here as I just upload it to you, but um, okay. I want to read it to you because I'm going to send it right now. I remember there's a quote in here that is definitely Howard responding to Steve Dahl. Okay. So is this the same this one or is, oh, this, this, is, is, this, yeah, is another, this is another page. This is another page of it. W four's Howard Stern says, quote, the thing that excites me most is opening up, opening up the airwaves. I become the orchestrator and the listeners are the stars of the show. Okay, so when Howard unpacked his headphones, AM Drive in the nation's fifth largest market was in a bumper-to-bumper -bumper state of confusion. Morning show hopefuls were coming and going so fast that the Japanese started building clock radios with push-button tuners. That's supposed to be a joke. Pro program directors installed revolving doors on their offices. Eager to be the next big thing, a platoon of morning men, morning funny men swept into Detroit with a blaze of full-page ads only to disappear faster than the new fall lineup on TV. It's ironic that the most talented of all the new arrivals slipped quietly into the market back in May of 1980 without fanfare, practically without cab fare, without trying to fill anybody's shoes but his own. Howard got his foot in the door for a big share of Detroit's fickle morning audience in less than two. By the way, fickle, they're really referring to like 12 to 18 year olds, which yeah. is what, which is what, which is where that uh, market was, which is what the format, sorry, was aiming for. So um, yeah. So Howard's really speaking to 12 to 18 year olds for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. In less than two weeks, the phone line stayed lit for Howard. He was a hit. Stern's voice has been described as a cross between Alan Alda and Groucho Marx. But his, <laughs> comedy style, but his comedy style is uniquely his own. Howard juggles music, phone calls, and features so skillfully that a four-hour four show seems to rush by. Despite his obvious talent, Howard tends to downplay his role as star of the show. The thing that excites me the most is the idea of opening up the airwaves to the listeners. I become the orchestrator, and the listeners are the stars of the show, because in every sense of the word, they are the stars of the show. Let me say that again. I become the orchestrator, and the listeners are the stars of the show, because in every sense of the word, they are the stars of the show. Okay, that's his quote. After working in Boston and Boston... He went to school in Boston, and he was not even on the air. Um, no. Okay. Opie so and Anthony about, were, though. So he's yeah. talking about his stupid radio show? His college he, show. Where he barely spoke? Okay. So yeah. after working in Boston and New York, not city, but the state, Stern left WCC-FM in Hartford to take over mornings at W4. This has a really bad glare again, so it's going to be hard to read. A native of the East Coast, Howard has unabashedly fallen in love with Detroit. And works oh. diligently to prove it. Between his regular morning features like dial a date and go back to bed, Howard recently called up the Libyan government and asked for $20 million in foreign aid for Detroit. Detroiters rebuffed by the oil barons. Stern then attempted to raise money for refurbishing inner city, the inner city by selling New York, sorry, New Jersey to the Russians. Later, sensing the frustration of Detroit's auto workers, Howard charged people a dollar each to smash a foreign car with a sledgehammer. So he's doing Steve Dahl's disco demolition type thing. Then donated the proceeds to the ailing Chrysler Corporation. Howard insists this is the part that's, that's a, a Steve Dahl thing. Yeah. Howard insists 
that radio must be responsive to the community it serves. Nothing annoys me more than to pull into a town and hear a radio show that could be coming from Chicago. That's uh, what Steve Dahl was doing. Yeah. Or Minneapolis. That's where Steve Dahl's show was also syndicated. It's got to be a local show. It's got to be about Detroit, he says. And there was nothing about the Howard Stern show in New York that was anything but uh, like when he when he wanted uh, his show syndicated, he didn't give a fuck that it wasn't local. No. In fact, when the so he first syndicates from from New York, he goes to Philly. And yeah. I read a quote. I read a quote from somebody. Uh, I think she is an advert. She runs an ad firm or something. They were asking, were you offended by Howard Stern? She said, the only thing that offends me is that he's not in Philadelphia. They did not like that. This this whole like you know the thing that Howard was just railing against. It's got to be local. It cannot be coming from another city. And then what happens? He goes and uh, sends the show out to other cities. Better believe it. Um, Sam, do you want to read the second paragraph on page fifty nine? We're all we're going to wrap this one up soon. Yeah, he's a real Sir Colin Davis, a fucking conductor of <laughs> amazingness, I guess. However, unlike the radio and records, people who partied with the records passing through Detroit and indulged in ready supplies of cocaine, Howard tended to limit his cruising to those events he was obliged to attend on behalf of WWWW. It's interesting that they called it cruising because isn't that what you normally call gay people who cruise for guys? Cruise cruising for guys. Yeah. Yeah, he's quoting Howard because when Howard said, you know, I'm out cruising. That's what I was also going to ask you. If mm-hmm. they're quoting cruising, that means he must have said it. Yeah, well, he, he does did. in the paragraph in before. In the paragraph but, before, which see, Ben read it out of, out of uh, sync. Sorry about that. But, yeah. but he said, yeah, but you know, you know, I'm out cruising the clubs there and finding out what's going on. I bet he was. He was crushing some oh, wow. arses. Yeah. Uh, he looks. Uh, <laughs> good he, he, he looked like he fit in with the rock and roll crowd, but he didn't. Uh, Beller recalled he wasn't into the drinking and the drugs, but I thought he. <laughs> I thought he like lost his mind off of LSD. Yeah, and yeah, uh, he was the big pot dealer, and he would have girls come over, uh, and he would make whiskey sours at home. You know, when, you know, when he'd bring them home, but not not the girls from his home school. They were from other schools and they didn't know he wasn't cool. Um, so the next part, the last paragraph, guys, we'll let we'll let let's let this one end. He continued to seek peace through transcendental meditation. TM remained virtually important and vitally. Uh, vitally important and helped him channel his energy into devising radio shtick. He was not the person you heard on the air, Beller added. That's the character he is. He's really a conservative guy from Long Island. Yeah. I used to call mm-hmm. him Jacob Javits. Javits, the United States senator from New York, was far more liberal than most of his colleagues, but still an establishment politician and a Republican. So, guys, we are going to let that one finish, and we hope to see you on the next one. We're going to make more headway with the audio and the uh, the book itself uh, with the next one because uh, he's going to be once we start getting into the Washington part of it, um, especially that's where it really starts to get interesting because Robin comes along and we've got loads of her stuff. Any closing thoughts, guys? Yeah, Ben, you'll appreciate the fact that, and we always say this, that I used to, I used to call him Jacob Javits, who was a Republican establishment politician. We always say, Ben, he yeah. 
basically is conservative except for a few things. And basically it's because he wants to be in with the popular table who are liberals. But yep. mostly everything that he espouses when it comes to Second Amendment or financial stuff, he always leans Republican. I mean, but al yeah. but also he was he was broadcasting out of New York for for that time, and most of New York would be considered I it would be predominantly a left wing city, oh, right? I mean, yeah, traditionally, right? Right? I mean, I'm not trying. I'm, I don't think I'm blowing smoke. Actually, out of Long Long Island is now pretty much red. The if you look at the New York State map, there really is only certain pockets they're just really compact uh new york city and a couple of others that are blue but most of it's red yeah so basically he's he's like he's a double agent if he was in the middle of texas he'd be yeah. he'd be yeah. you know but swinging that's really, the gun it's, and it's 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 also out of step to be a shock jock who's also very liberal because usually those two do not you can't be doing the racist jokes and you know the, yes. the, the women stuff and you know saying whatever i want you know because uh and uh, to hell with political correctness and so on and then also be doing you know uh, we must look we must treat gays as our superiors yes. that kind of stuff and you know yeah all the other stuff that he's doing yeah absolutely. so they don't usually go hand in hand Total yeah. paradox. Yeah. Um, thank you guys so much. We'll see you on the next one. From all of us at QF, take care, and we love you. Stay safe. So many of these people, almost all of them that we see, are so poor, and they are so black, and this is going to raise lots of questions for people who are They're watching so the story. So black. If they had been less black. <laughs> you know what, Halle Berry. Cause as many problems. Halle Berry would have survived. Right. <laughs> Why couldn't we have a, a town full of Halle Berry? Look at how goddamn black they are! <laughs> <laughs>